1: members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly zoom hangouts with mike here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on the humanist report enjoy the show
0: well folks i've got a bit of a public service announcement for you tomorrow may 3rd is the election between Nina Turner and Chantel Brown taking place in the 11th Congressional District of Ohio. And if you live in this district, get out and vote for Nina Turner. She is a true progressive fighter. We need someone like her in Congress, not some fake progressive like Chantel Brown. Now, we talked about this race a couple of weeks ago, specifically within the context of who the Congressional Progressive Caucus endorsed. And they chose to snub Nina Turner in favor of Chantel Brown. Now, if you want to see what I said about that, you can go back and watch the video. But long story short, I said it was obviously dumb to do something like that because Chantel Brown isn't a real progressive. In fact, she's simultaneously a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and the New Democrats Coalition. So progressive centrist, you're in competing ideological caucuses. So nobody believes that you're actually serious when you support policies like Medicare for all. We all know that you're just paying lip service to progressive ideas, but that's neither here nor there. I don't want to talk about my opinion because the leaders of the Congressional Progressive Caucus weighed in on the endorsement because they heard our anger. So um, both Pramila Jayapal and Mark Pocan decided to weigh in. And they both had absolutely just embarrassingly bad responses. So first and foremost, here's what Jayapal said. As Punchbowl News explains, in an interview, Jayapal defended the Brown endorsement, describing her as a progressive member in good standing for four months who met all the qualifications laid out by the CPC. Jayapal also noted that even with the endorsement, the CPC's campaign arm hasn't put any money into the race. Jayapal denied this had anything to do with her future leadership goals. But she did confirm discussions within the CPC, particularly at a members' only executive board meeting last week about changing its endorsement rules going forward. I understand the frustration and we're looking to see if we need to do anything to change the way we look at these things now. We don't want people to sign up for the CPC like right before an election. So we're definitely looking at that. Should we have a certain period of time, whether it's six months or a year or something, that you have to be a member of the CPC and good standing? The other thing we're really looking at is do we need to have some kind of change in endorsement based on whether somebody accepts this kind of giant PAC money? whether it's from the crypto billionaires or whether it's from dmfi democratic majority for israel now this is a bad response and i'll tell you why but first i'll defend the response just because she says yeah maybe we should look into changing things so that's at least a hint of self-awareness which is something that we haven't seen from any progressive leader in congress perhaps in forever so that's the silver lining. The bad news is that this is an absolutely terrible response because she's still defending the endorsement while acknowledging that maybe Chantel Brown is a bit of a corporatist. So if she's a corporate Democrat and you acknowledge that maybe you should change the rules, then why would you still defend what is objectively a bad endorsement from the perspective of a progressive member of Congress? Congress. I mean, she's she's a leader, so it's like she has to defend everything that they do, apparently. But no, you don't. You're the leader. The buck stops with you. You can institute these changes. You can at least get the ball rolling. And I think that people on the outside would stop viewing the Congressional Progressive Caucus as a bunch of jokes if they actually had some standards. I mean, would it be horrible to impose some sort of a litmus test that you can't take corporate PAC money if you want to be a member of this caucus? I mean, Chantel Brown, again, it is... Absurd that she's a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and the New Democrats Coalition. They fight against everything that the progressive wants. So you have a saboteur in your ranks and you're defending this endorsement. What? Because you have to, to keep up unity. I mean, fuck unity. What matters is actually getting things done. And the way that this caucus has operated has relegated them into joke status perpetually. Progressives in the United States, they don't view this caucus as one that's actually effective. We view you as jokes because you are feckless. You can't get anything done. And the fact that somebody in the Congressional Progressive Caucus can be in good standing while taking millions of dollars from corporate PACs, that kind of is a catastrophic failure, is it not? Now, when you hear what Mark Pocan had to say about this, the response, the backlash that he gave, you'll think that Pramila Jayapal's response was actually much more self-aware, much more articulate and better, because what he says is just, honestly, it's it's a slap in the face. So this is according to Punchbowl News again. Representative Mark Pocan, who co-chairs the CPC PAC, defended the process for considering endorsements, saying that CPC members are expected to co-sponsor priority bills, vote with the caucus, and regularly participate in its meetings, all things... Brown has done. If an incumbent is in good standing, which she is, then we have criteria that we've never had as stringent as this session, Pocan said. So not only is the endorsement good, but the endorsement process itself is good. And it's the most stringent it's ever had. I mean, Mark, do you understand that this is why we view you and the entire Progressive Caucus as jokes, ideologically, we're aligned for the most part, right? I'm probably to the left of these leaders in the Congressional Progressive Caucus, but that's neither here nor there. They, in theory, should be our biggest allies in Congress, but yet we view you as jokes because you do things like this. You defend the indefensible. You defend members of your caucus who shouldn't be members of your caucus because they take corporate money, because they are corrupted, because they're so brazen with their conflicts of interest and corruption that there was an ethics probe into one of them in Ohio, Chantel Brown. So I I just, (laughs) to hear him say this is ridiculous, but in an interview with MSNBC that Case Study QB shared on Twitter, you're going to see that he's going to continue to defend this horrible endorsement. And then he's going to reveal a really devastating fact about the entire Congressional Progressive Caucus, even members who, in theory, should know better.
2: As you know, there's big disagreement right now in your caucus uh, over this race, Chantel Brown versus Nina Turner. Bernie Sanders is standing by his endorsement of Nina Turner, despite uh, the CPC's endorsement of Brown. And if you think about it, one of the strengths of your caucus is your ability to stay unified. What do you make of this divide? Does it spell trouble in the future for your caucus?
3: We have almost a 100 members, and when
0: we took the vote, no one voted not to endorse Chantel. So I don't know if the, the, the divide uh, that, you know, some of the journalists in Washington D.C., uh, for some of the capital newspapers like to say, but we didn't have it when we endorsed uh, someone. And you know, the good news is you've got two great progressives running. I mean, we like this option. What I don't want to have options is where we've got people who are you know not going to be uh, supporting things like uh, Medicare for All and other priorities. Here, you've got people who are, and I think at the end of the day, that's good for the people of Ohio and good for the American people. But uh, people in that district will ultimately make the decision. So that right there is why progressives in Congress are so ineffectual. You know, all this time, my thinking was that, or rather my rationalization was that the buck really stops with leadership and that if, you know, they reformed the rules, if leaders actually led, then perhaps, you know, other rank and file members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus would file suit. Now, my thinking was that because in the first uh, race between Nina Turner and Chantel Brown, you had everyone come out to endorse Pramila Jayapal. AOC, Cory Bush, everyone, right? This time, you see Bernie Sanders, essentially, and some other individuals, people who aren't in Congress, but members of Congress who are progressive, who in theory should want Nina Turner in, who I know want Nina Turner in, they didn't endorse. Now, my thinking was that they probably couldn't be in good standing with the Congressional Progressive Caucus if they endorse against someone who the caucus has endorsed. But this detail here that Mark Pocan revealed is incredibly embarrassing. He said, when we took the vote, no one voted not to endorse Chantel Brown. Not a single progressive voted to not endorse Chantel Brown. Not even Cori Bush, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Jamal Bowman, Katie Porter. Not one. I mean, this is the chance when you can make your voice heard. And they all chose to be cowards and sit back and do nothing that is incredibly embarrassing and the fact that they didn't make their voices heard here shows that they're just they're too afraid to stand up right because they know if there's another primary race perhaps chantelle brown and her collection of colleagues who are corporatists in the congressional progressive caucus can vote against them but who cares who cares about the endorsement of the CPC? really what i'm angry about is the principle here, right? I mean, they're endorsing an opponent to a progressive. And not only is it one of the best progressives running for Congress, but it's one of the worst corporate Democrats who's in their ranks and they're endorsing this person. So the Congressional Progressive Caucus should never do that. They should never affirmatively support someone who's antithetical, who's going to fight against everything that they purportedly believe in. But here, not a single progressive decided to stand up for Nina Turner. And, you know, you would think that they would at least have won, right? Cori Bush, I understood that she had to have felt hurt when AOC didn't endorse her when she was running against Lacey Clay in 2020, right? In 2018, AOC tried very hard to get uh, Cori Bush elected. But, you know, in uh, 2020, Lacey Clay co-sponsored the Green New Deal and perhaps other legislation that AOC was working on, so she chose to sit that race out. And I know that Cori Bush had to have been hurt by that, right? Because her and AOC are on the same page. Lacey Clay is a corporate Democrat. I get that you need to build these bridges and form relationships in Congress if you want to be effective. But at the same time, you have to leave the door open so other progressives can get in Congress so you don't have to make deals with the devils so much, right? But Cory Bush didn't even vote to not endorse Chantel Brown after that happened to her with AOC. So uh, to me, this really this isn't necessarily uh, proof that they are like bad progressives and they like Chantal Brown. It's just evidence that they're too afraid to speak up. They don't want to stand up. They don't want to put targets on their back. And look, to some extent, I understand it. Like, if you're Ilhan Omar, you get death threats constantly. So why rile, rile up, you know, anyone else in Congress? You know, at least on the outside, if they're yelling at you, on the inside, perhaps things are a little bit more peaceful, maybe. But it's just, it's, it's embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. So every time a progressive gets elected to Congress, they're just going to be neutralized. Like, do you understand the message that this sends to people? Who are currently trying to get the 2022 round of progressives elected it's going to tell everyone that oh well what's the point because they're going to get there and they're just going to be fucking cowards they're talking a big game now as all of the squad did but when they get to congress they're just going to be weak and ineffectual and kowtow to not just the cpc leadership who is weak and ineffectual but the democratic party leadership which is corrupt right so i mean at some point you have to do a little bit of self-reflection. You've got to look in the mirror, be introspective for once and think, why am I viewed as such a laughing stock in Congress? Why is the Congressional Progressive Caucus unable to get anything that we want to, you know, accomplished? Why is it that Moderate Democrats hold all the cards. It's not just that they have more numbers; it's because you all don't know how to strategize, and you couldn't strategize to save your lives. Now, also, Mark Pocan said the good news is you've got two great progressives running. We like this option. What I don't want to have options is where we have people who are not going to be supporting things like Medicare for All and other priorities. So let me just say this about Mark Pocan: as a progressive, ideologically, when it comes to policy, I'm in lockstep with him. But strategically, uh, he he has. No idea what he's doing. So let me just remind you that he endorsed uh, Joe Kennedy over Ed Markey when one was the corporate Democrat and one was the truer progressive, albeit imperfect. But there was a clear difference between Joe Kennedy and Ed Markey and Mark Pocan endorsed the more corporate friendly Democrat. So really, I mean, if all you're looking for is just affirmation in the form of co-sponsoring Medicare for all, then you're telling me that co-sponsoring bills? as a litmus test, is no longer effective. We have to redo our litmus test if corporate Democrats are just co-sponsoring it and getting progressives off their backs that way. Like to me in 2017, when we really called members of Congress to get them to co-sponsor uh, this type of legislation, Medicare for All, other progressive reforms, it meant that you know they were really taking a stand here they were sending a message, but really now it's evident that a lot of them are full of shit. Tim Ryan kind of proved that how he, you know, he co-sponsored Medicare for all. And then when he ran for president, he said he'd vote against it if, if it came up. But like by uh, the standards of Mark Pocan, anyone can be a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Connor Lamb who's a Republican, basically, he could be a member if he just co-sponsors Medicare for All. Richie Neal, Nancy Pelosi, any Democrat, even possibly a Republican, can be a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus so long as they co-sponsor Medicare for All and attend the meetings. Like, Do you understand how your caucus is going to get ideologically watered down? Do you see how the Big Ten thing that the Democrats have been pushing have made them a party that's ideologically inconsistent and they're battling with each other to where the moderates won't even let The corporate Democrats, and when I say moderates, I mean right wing Democrats, but the moderates won't even let the corporate Democrats get the incrementalist reforms that we, you know, dreaded from Democrats because we always wanted them to do more. But you can't even get that now. So things are deteriorating, going downhill. And we have an entire caucus who's supposed to be helping the left in this country, supposed to be pushing left policies completely lost, not knowing what the fuck to do, not having the spine to do what they need to do, even if they knew what direction they should be headed in. It's just a joke, but it's just it's frustrating because the one caucus who, in theory, should be fighting for progressives, completely clueless, completely feckless, cowards, pathetic. So we've been talking about a lot of really depressing things on the show lately, so I thought that I'd switch it up with more of a lighthearted segment. So I wanted to share a clip with you that is going viral of Trump supporters on an airplane reacting to news that they are going to get kicked off of the plane. Now, keep in mind that we don't have the full context leading up to what we're going to see in this clip, but it's evident that whatever the reason for them being removed before this, the reason was justified because of their behavior. So it seems as if they were reported by the people sitting next to them for being obnoxious and saying horrible things. And then you're going to see why they absolutely needed to be removed. Now, I'm not sharing this with you uh, because I want to make you angry. This is actually a segment that I think will make you feel a uh, bit. Bit happy, and I say this not necessarily because the contents are good, but because this has a really happy ending that might restore your faith in humanity—not a ton, but just a little bit. Enjoy.
3: You don't I'm, like the words I'm coming not. out of my mouth. Okay, so pretty much no words, no words. Free speech is dead. Okay, Excuse so. me, we didn't definitely do anything. Coming off. We're definitely coming off.
1: No,
0: right? we're not coming off. Okay, you
4: and you're gonna see. have to take everyone off. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah, is ridiculous. You guys see what's happening in America? You didn't like what he said, and now we're getting kicked off a plane. And all of you all are going to have to wait.
5: This is fucking outrageous. You guys, we're going to turn into China. It's coming.
3: Cheep, cheep, cheep. Clearly, the president or the master people didn't like what. I was
4: Like, how much Really? Really? Oh, I love Elon Musk. He is the best. Elon. <laughs> he is the fucking king. Because the math people in our row are picking us off the We're plane. off the train because <laughs> the
6: math. Kicking us back. off. You know what?
4: It's a beautiful day. I'm happy to stay one more night. I am
3: suing you. What is your name, sir? I'm suing you. And I'm suing the airline. Oh my You're god! A I have nothing to. Do. Oh, no, I'm offended. I used to dance on Broadway, ragged. and I'm not getting that fucking vaccine.
2: We,
5: Take off didn't the do we the did not. off, did not. We 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 We are getting kicked off. Now We got your face. did not. We did not. We did not. not. talk.
3: love you. I
2: I'm
4: going to everyone, because you, me, it was free speech. Now, nah, Gene is wrong. No, Gene right. is, Gene, okay. we're well, not getting off. Gene, we're not getting off. Excuse friend. me. It's no, our it's anniversary. Okay. No. Man, I'm fine. No,
5: you little faggots. You Do
4: not get off. No, no, you fucking tell me why now.
2: I'm
1: a tired FBI. No we're not. Two customers on the aircraft was not cooperating. We're going we're to have to get everyone off the what? aircraft and then we board. As soon as the sheriff gets here, we
5: do you apologize. The 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 we tried to negotiate with the but it not seem to be Can working. So we're we going did? to have to get everyone off the What did we do? I am. A... Can you tell you me what we did? Set. Listen, you got to get off the plane
4: because we're Trump supporters.
0: Seriously, don't, I really don't think that. that's what it is. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do, do that. do yeah. it's, it's a, it,
3: it's a Oh, heaven, my freedom? the plan no. when we did nothing Stop. Stop. wrong. It makes them right. It's yeah.
4: fucking wrong. Yeah. yeah, put that on YouTube. Actually, you got a case in the wrong way. i
5: thank you. Yeah, Okay. Don't ever get on the chat Boo. keep it walking,
1: old dude. Oh. Come on, come on. Oh. <laughs> Bye, Karen. Bye. <laughs> just grabbed that top city. <laughs>
3: I've
0: got to say, them getting booed by the other passengers genuinely was heartwarming. Um, it restored my faith in humanity. A little bit I've got to say and also when they claimed that they're being kicked off the plane specifically because they're Trump supporters alleging political discrimination when everyone laughed that made me feel so happy to see that like nobody is going to buy into your victim narrative it's bullshit I mean I'm sure that there were other conservatives on that plane that laughed at them as well because they were being so petulant behaving in such an obnoxious and and disgusting way that nobody was buying what you were selling Everything bad that happens to you isn't because of your political ideology, believe it or not, but these uh, conservatives, I mean, everything is kind of like confirmation, right? Everything that happens to them is confirmation. If you stub your toe, well, it's because you're a conservative. This wouldn't happen to a liberal. I mean, this is the way that they think. Um, So one thing that I love is that these are the types of people that are calling us sheep, Right, she went through probably ninety percent of all of the talking points from the right that we've been hearing over the course of the last like six months, and she's the same person that would in turn say that you're a sheep because you wear a mask or get vaccinated. And she went through everything. Right, she hit on the love for Elon Musk because conservatives are riding his dick lately since he purchased Twitter. Uh, she talked about the vaccines, how she's not getting the vaccine. I mean, everything. Like you can tell that this person has consumed so much right wing propaganda that their brain is just mush at this point. Like, this is what happens when you consume, consume years of propaganda, conservatism. Like, it just melts your brain. Like, if you look closely, you could probably see goo dripping out of her ears and her husband's ears, and that's brain goo. Like, their brains are melting from too much conservatism. So, let's go through some specifics here. Free speech, is dead that's my favorite part whenever there are consequences for uh, your actions if you're a conservative all you have to do is claim free speech and you immediately cultivate sympathy not on that plane apparently but like there are limits to freedom of speech that's not a violation of the first amendment for a private airplane company to kick somebody off for saying crude things but there are limits to free speech nobody is a free speech absolutist even if they might purport to be and that's because without limits to freedom of speech then society would be a hellhole. And that's not to say that we shouldn't protect speech and advocate for as much speech as possible, but if we allowed for death threats, for example, with no repercussions, imagine how bad that would be for society or harassment. Imagine if you just walked around yelling at someone, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you for an hour, and, you know, nobody could intervene. Cops couldn't arrest that person because free speech it'd be ridiculous, right? So you have to have some lines and you acting like an ass on a plane is not a violation of your freedom of speech. But I mean, again, this is a conservative. So anytime there's consequences for their actions, whenever they're being held accountable, uh, accountable even minimally, they cry free speech. And usually it works, but thankfully not on that plane. So um, she talked about how, uh, do you guys see what's happening in America as if uh, this is some microcosm of a bigger trend of america becoming more authoritarian because you were kicked off of the fucking plane um she said we're getting kicked off the plane and now all of you are gonna have to wait so notice that karen moved there because you're inconveniencing me and you told on me and i'm getting kicked off the plane we're not gonna leave so we're gonna slow things down for everyone we're gonna make your lives hell Fuck you i mean imagine being that entitled jesus christ Uh, You guys, we're going to turn to China. It's coming. Why? Because you're getting kicked off the plane. What specifically about China do you not like? It's true that China absolutely cracks down on freedom of speech and freedom of expression, and I don't like that. But I don't think that you can articulate specifically what's wrong with China, what's wrong with their political system that you don't like. Be specific. I mean, she'd probably say communist. In fact, that's one talking point that she missed. She could have claimed that the communists were kicking profitable of a plane. But she's just, like, going down the list. Elon Musk, I'm not getting the fucking vaccine. It's just every single right-wing talking point. I mean, holy shit, talk about Kool-Aid drinkers. Now, my favorite part of all time is when she looked over to the guy and she said, I'm suing you. What is your name, sir? Excuse me? You want me to assist you in this lawsuit that you're apparently going to be lobbing at me? Sure, let me give you my name. It's it's James Thompson. My address is... uh." Like, do you want any additional details that might help you with this lawsuit against me? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> holy fucking shit. And then uh, her husband chimed in and that's when it got really dark. So he said, hey, buddy, I guarantee I have more money than you. Okay. He claimed he was a retired FBI agent or something. Um, wouldn't surprise me if I'm being honest. Uh, so he also said uh, mockingly to the people sitting next to them who presumably reported them Oh, I'm offended because I'm an F-slur. Just dropping the F-slur, wondering why would we get kicked off the plane? Um, and yeah, that's basically <laughs> that clip in a nutshell. Uh, truly ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But I love this clip because it really demonstrates that Trump supporters, they actually believe that they're the victims. Even when they use slurs in public, they still have the audacity to claim that really people don't like them because they're Trump supporters. They're being discriminated against because of their political uh, political affiliation. Now, it's interesting. Why would you think that everyone else would assume you're Trump supporters? I mean, obviously, we had enough to go off of to think that, okay, they're probably Trump supporters, but like you weren't wearing a hat that said Make America Great Again. You weren't wearing any Trump-like merch that I could see. Maybe I'm wrong. But I mean, just... Aesthetically speaking, you couldn't really tell that they were Trump supporters, but she expected everyone to know that they were Trump supporters because of the way that they were behaving. So what does that tell you about your movement if you're a Trump supporter? You know that you're all crude. You know that you're all dickheads. And you couldn't help but play the victim card. Amazing. But just seeing other passengers not take that bullshit and seeing them get booed was incredible. Now, like, I have no idea if this couple was uh sober or not. I kind of hope that they were drunk because if you were sober and behaving that way, that's even somehow worse. But either way, I mean this behavior is inexcusable. If you can't hold your liquor, then you shouldn't be in public drinking. But I mean again, I don't know. I'm just speculating here. They could have been completely sober. We've seen sober people behave in this way countless times in America, right? The Karen phenomenon is a phenomenon for a reason. It's because it keeps fucking happening. But it's just I, I love that they they claim that they're being discriminated against as they literally use slurs. Unreal. But either way, the happy ending was enough to make me really value this clip. Just seeing other Americans not put up with this bullshit, it means something. In 2022, it, it means something. It might mean not that much, but still it means something and I'll take it. Hi, folks. I was working on the content for tomorrow when I decided to take a break, browse Twitter for a little bit, and then uh, it turns out Politico's Twitter account shared this bombshell of an article. Supreme Court has voted to overturn abortion rights draft opinion shows. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled, Justice Alito writes, in an initial majority draft circulated inside the court. I mean, I can't say that this is surprising, Nonetheless, to see it actually take place, I'm a little bit shell-shocked, to be honest. Now, keep in mind that this is only a draft. It's possible, theoretically, that one of the justices could have changed their votes, but I don't really think that that is indeed the case. It's also possible that this leak is not authentic. But there's a lot of people who have combed through it who are saying it appears as if this is the real deal, And there's a lot of indications that basically confirm, yeah, this is what happened. Just somebody leaked it earlier. Now, um, minutes after this report went public, they put up a barricade in front of the Supreme Court anticipating protests, knowing probably that what they did was just insane um and before we dive into the details of the article here i I just i've got a point to this from scotus blog it's impossible to overstate the earthquake this will cause inside the court in terms of the destruction of the trust among the justices and staff this leak is the gravest most unforgivable sin as emma Viglin points out yeah the leak is the gravest most unforgivable sin i mean they overturned abortion i mean what this means is that abortion still going to happen in the united states the difference is that women are just going to get unsafe illegal abortions and really when i say that i've talked about that before but disproportionately what we're talking about here is poor women wealthy women as always will have access to abortions they can fly to a blue state they can fly to a different country if they need to but we're talking about poor women poor women here so let's dive into the article The Supreme Court has voted to strike down the landmark Roe v. Wade decision according to an initial draft majority opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito circulated inside the court and obtained by Politico. The draft opinion is a full-throated, unflinching repudiation of the 1973 decision, which guaranteed federal constitutional protections of abortion rights and a subsequent 1992 decision, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, that largely maintained the right, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, Alito writes. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled, he writes in the document, labeled as the opinion of the court. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Deliberations on controversial issues have in the past been fluid. Justices can and sometimes do change their votes as draft opinions circulate and major decisions can be subject to multiple drafts and vote trading. Sometimes until just days before a decision is unveiled, the court's holding will not be final until it is published, likely in the next two months. Now, we won't get the actual verdict for maybe a month. It could come anytime, really. But, I mean, if you want to see it, it's right here. Probably not the final draft. It is a draft, but I, I mean, we have no reason to doubt this. Now, I've just got to, real quick, before we get back to the article here, point out, as left flank that's uh, shared on Twitter, this is what the American people think about abortion. 60% want the Supreme Court to uphold Roe v. Wade. 58% oppose legislation to make it harder for clinics to operate. Uh, When it comes to whether a woman can have an abortion, 75% of Americans think that it should be left to the woman and her doctor. So what's happening in this country currently is our country has been taken over by a minority of reactionary psychopathic extremists. And the reason why they're able to do this is because our political system was designed in the most idiotic way imaginable. So smaller, more conservative states have an outsized influence on what happens, right? States like California has the same amount of senators as states like West Virginia. It's just, it's truly ridiculous. Now, back to the article here. The media impact of the ruling as drafted in February would be uh, to end a half century, Jesus, it's been that long, of federal constitutional protection of abortion rights and allow each state to decide whether or whether to restrict or ban abortion. It's unclear if there have been subsequent changes to the draft. Now, real quick, what I want to make clear is that for those of you unaware, this doesn't mean that abortion is banned all across the United States. What this means is that states can enact their own abortion bans, as we've kind of been seeing. Now, uh, Republicans want to change that. So they're already saying that uh, in the event they win the House, they will be introducing federal legislation to ban abortion at six weeks now that's not gonna pass because Biden can easily veto that but in 2024 assuming Trump gets in and Republicans have the Senate and the House they're saying we're gonna ban abortion in all 50 states do you understand how extreme that is and what the implications of that are and it's not just that they want to ban abortion if you don't care about this issue well guess what's next gay marriage they have the votes to overturn it now any worker rights They can overturn that. They can, fuck, they can overturn Brown v. Board of Education if they want to. They can do whatever they want because they have a majority for the foreseeable future. And they are going to ruin this country more so than it's already ruined. So buckle up, folks, because this is only the beginning. No draft decision in the modern history of the court has been disclosed publicly while a case was still pending. The unprecedented revelation is bound to intensify the debate over what was already the most controversial case on the docket this term. The draft opinion offers an extraordinary window into the justices' deliberations in one of the most consequential cases before the court in the last five decades. Some court watchers predicted that the conservative majority would slice away at abortion rights without flatly overturning a 49-year-old president. The draft shows that the court is looking to reject Roe's logic and legal protection so they're brazen right they're not mincing words they're not allowing states to to do more restrictions they're just saying rose done think of how insanely shameless they are they don't care they are extremists and they have hijacked our country A person familiar with the court's deliberations said that four of the other Republican-appointed justices, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, had voted with Alito in the conference held among the justices after hearing oral arguments in December and that lineup remains unchanged this week. So, uh, the three Democratic-appointed justices, Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Alina Kagan are working on one or more dissents, according to one person, how Chief Justice Roberts will ultimately vote, and whether he will join an already written opinion or draft uh, his own is unclear because he's going to sit on the fence. Uh, Now, speaking of this here, I I just want to point out uh, some of these names here. Really interesting that um, Susan Collins, when she uh,
2: voted for Kavanaugh, this is what she said. I do not believe that Brett Kavanaugh will overturn His presidents Roe are overturned. He noted that Roe had been reaffirmed 19 years later by Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and that it was precedent on precedent. He said it should be extremely rare that it be overturned and it should be an example so you have database. obviously
3: full confidence
2: I do we talked about whether he considered road to be settled law he said that he agreed with what Justice Roberts said at his nomination hearing in which he said that it was settled law I could not vote for a judge who had demonstrated hostility to Roe v. Wade because it would indicate a lack of respect for precedent. What Judge Kavanaugh told me, and he's the first Supreme Court nominee that I've interviewed out of six who has told me this, is that he views precedent not just as a legal doctrine, but as rooted in our Constitution. And he reveres our Constitution. I asked him, is it sufficient if five current sitting justices believe that Roe should be overturned? And he said, no. I would not support a nominee who demonstrated hostility to Roe v. Wade because that would mean to me that their judicial philosophy did not include a respect for established decision. Judge Kavanaugh is the first Supreme Court nominee to express the view that precedent is not merely a practice and tradition, but rooted in Article III of our Constitution itself. I will vote to confirm Judge Kavanaugh.
0: It's almost like these Supreme Court justices will say anything to get confirmed and then once they're on the court, then they have a lifetime appointment and you can do fuck all about it if you dislike their decisions. Back to the article here the document labeled as a first draft of the majority opinion includes a notation that it was circulated among the justices on february 10th if the alito draft is adopted it would rule in favor of mississippi in the closely watched case over that state's attempt to ban most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy a supreme court spokesperson declined to comment or make another representative of the court available to answer questions about the draft document. Politico received a copy of the draft opinions from a person familiar with the court's proceedings in the Mississippi case, along with other details supporting the authenticity of the document. The draft opinion runs 98 pages, including a 31-page appendix of historical state abortion laws. The document is replete with citations to previous court decisions, books, and other authorities, and includes 118 footnotes. The appearances and timing of this draft are consistent with court practice. I mean, it's it's 99 percent likely the actual draft it's time to like stop pretending as if the supreme court is apolitical it is explicitly political and until democrats behave in that way then things like this will continue to happen the country will continue to get worse because this is a political institution explicitly so these are activist judges remember when gay marriage was affirmed by the supreme court and uh, we had ted cruz and all these republicans screeching about activist judges this is is what you call activist judges, to overturn almost 50 years of precedent. Where you had uh, this right to an abortion affirmed by two cases, that's activist judges. The disclosure of Alito's draft majority opinion, a rare uh, breach of Supreme Court secrecy and tradition around its deliberations comes as all sides in the abortion bait are girding for the ruling. Um, Let's go to the actual arguments here. So, a George W. Bush appointee who joined the court in 2006, Alito argues that the 1973 abortion rights ruling was an ill-conceived and deeply flawed decision that invented a right mentioned nowhere in the Constitution and unwisely sought to wrench the uh, the contentions a contentious issue away from the political branches of government. Alito's draft ruling would overturn the decision by the New Orleans-based Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that found the Mississippi law ran afoul of Supreme Court precedent by seeking to effectively ban abortions before viability. Rose's survey of history ranged from the constitutionally irrelevant to the plainly incorrect. Alito continues, adding that its reasoning was exceptionally weak and that the original decision has had damaging consequences. The inescapable conclusion is that that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions alito writes alito approvingly quotes a broad range of critics of the roe decision he also points uh, points the liberal icons such as the late justice ruth bader ginsburg and harvard law professor Lawrence Tribe, who at certain points in their careers took issue with the reasoning in roe uh, or its impact on the political process speaking of ruth bader ginsburg it would have been really nice for her to retire when she was still alive rather than just die on the court and fuck over the country for uh, generations. Alito's skewering of Roe and the endorsement of at least four other justices for that unsparing critique is also a measure of the court's rightward turn in recent decades. Roe was decided 7-2 in 1973, with five Republican appointees joining two justices nominated by Democratic presidents. The overturning of Roe would almost immediately lead to stricter limits on abortion access in large swaths of the South and Midwest, with about half of the states set to immediately impose broad abortion bans. Any state could still legally allow Allow the procedure until Republicans take control. Then it's banned, and then the Supreme Court will reaffirm that, and will go two steps backwards. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. The draft concludes. Roe and Casey arrogated uh, that, that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. The draft contains the type of caustic, rhetorical flourishes Alito is known for and that has caused Roberts, his fellow Bush appointee, some discomfort in the past. At times, Alito's draft opinion takes an almost mocking tone as it skewers the majority opinion in Roe, written by Justice Harry Blackmun, a Richard Nixon appointee who died in 1990. Roe expressed the feeling that the 14th Amendment was the provision that did the work, but its message seemed to be that the abortion right uh, could be found somewhere in the constitution that's spe- specifying its exact location was not of paramount importance alito writes i've got to say that like uh, this line is, is sticking out to me the one where roberts is really like um he's discomforted by the things that uh alito says okay well then write the wrong and retire right retire make it uh so there's uh, one more liberal justice, right? You can, you can change that. He's not going to do that, though. And even if he were to do that, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema would make sure that uh, they hold that seat open until Republicans take over the Senate, whenever that is, 2022, 2024. They'll make sure that, uh, you know, a liberal is not going to be his replacement. Uh, let's see here. Alito declares that one of the central tenets of Roe, the viability distinction between fetuses not capable of living outside the womb and those which can uh, can makes no sense. In several passages, he describes doctors and nurses who terminate pregnancies as abortionists. When Roberts voted with liberal jurists in 2020 to block a Louisiana law imposing heavier regulation on abortion clinics, his solo concurrence used the more neutral term abortion providers. In contrast, Justice Clarence Thomas used the word abortion is 25 times in solo in a solo descent in the same case. So, for whatever reason, uh, Alito is uh, virtue signaling and Shifting first uh, further to the right rhetorically, which is bizarre for a Supreme Court justice, uh, Alito's use of the phrase egregiously wrong to describe Roe echoes language Mississippi Solicitor General Scott Stewart used in December in defending his state's ban on abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. The phrase was also contained in an opinion Kavanaugh wrote as part of a 2020 ruling that jury convictions in criminal cases must be unanimous. In that opinion, Kavanaugh labeled two well-known Supreme Court decisions egregiously wrong when decided. The 1994 up ruling upholding the uh, detention of Japanese Americans during World War II, Korematsu versus United States, and the the 18, uh, excuse me, 96 decision that blessed racial segregation under the rubric of separate but equal, Plessy v. Ferguson. The high court has uh, never formally overturned Korematsu but did repudiate the decision in a 2018 ruling by Roberts that upheld then-President Donald Trump's travel ban policy. So, um, you know, I I think that we've got the, uh, the gist of it, right? it's uh it's over rose over uh, i'm pretty certain that this is the real deal I-, I think that most people acknowledge that this is the real deal so um yeah here we are in the united states we're going back to the age where women have to get um coat hanger abortions in back alleys because you know only blue states will allow abortions for now red states will overrule them Very quickly, there's a lot of uh, red states that have passed trigger laws, meaning that if if Roe is ever overturned, then immediately abortion becomes illegal in that state like that. But just wait until Republicans take control. Once they have all three branches of Congress, all 50 states, baby, because that's what they are already telling us that they're going to do. And one thing about Republicans uh, that's different than Democrats is that they actually get their agenda carried out. But I've got to say, abortion is only the beginning, right? because they will go for marriage equality next and every other civil right and civil liberty that we've spent decades fighting to achieve. They will undo all of it. And while they take our country back decades, when other countries are moving forward, all you're gonna hear on uh, mainstream media is how the far left is the problem. The far left is extreme. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. The far left wants healthcare the far right, which is the entire Republican Party and its base, is taking away fundamental civil rights. And if this doesn't shake you to your core, then I don't know what to say. You know, it's if you don't care about abortion, again, it's going to be a different civil right that they go after. Who knows? Maybe they'll try to ban legal weed in states that have legalized it, like my state. There's no limit to the moral depravity of this extremist far-right death cult known as the Republican Party and their base who votes for this. So, yeah, I'll leave that there. I didn't want to wait until tomorrow to talk about this because this is happening right now. And it's just, it's honestly disturbing. Uh, It's nauseating. And um, this country is circling the drain. And and we're basically down the drain at this point. Like, we're falling down the drain as I record this video. It's just, what a fucking shit show this country is. Wow. Wow. So senator joe manchin of west virginia who i'm told is still a democrat but for all intents and purposes is a republican decided to make an endorsement and he ran an ad for a republican it's a congressional race taking place in west virginia and it's a republican primary that he decided to weigh in on and you know there's a democratic party primary taking place but he's like "Mm, i care more about the republican primary because i'm a democrat now If that fact alone, him doing an ad, a Democrat doing an ad for a Republican wasn't absurd enough, what he says in this ad is even more outrageous because he's going to brag about obstructing his party's agenda and then say, you should support this Republican because he also agrees with me that obstructing Democrats is good. Take a look.
6: I've always said if I can't go home and explain it, I can't vote for it. And that's why I oppose Build Back Better. For Alex Mooney and his out of state supporters to suggest David McKinley supported Build Back Better is an outright lie. David McKinley has always opposed reckless spending because it doesn't make sense for West Virginia. Alex Mooney has proven he's all about Alex Mooney. But West Virginians know David McKinley is all about us. I'm David McKinley, and I approve this message.
0: That's someone who many Democrats, I hate to say it, some progressives included, claimed was a good faith actor. To suggest David McKinley supported Build Back Better is an outright lie, David McKinley has always opposed reckless spending. Understand why this is a fuck you to his constituents in West Virginia. He's saying that universal pre-K, expanding Medicare, doing all of these good things that benefit you, that's reckless spending. When we spend money on our military, When we give aid to human rights abusers, that's not reckless spending. But reckless spending is when we do anything to help normal Americans. So it's like he's spitting in the faces of his constituents, but yet he's more popular in West Virginia for opposing Build Back Better. So, you know, we live in a bizarre and insane, frankly, uh, world. But take a look at who he's endorsing. So if you go to David McKinley's page, this is what he puts front and center. 92% Trump voting score, 100% pro-life rating, A rating from the NRA. Why even be a Democrat at this point? I genuinely don't understand it. I I just don't understand it. Now, also, the key issues that McKinley is running on is securing the border, And on top of that, he wants an economic package for West Virginia. Now, you might think, oh, wow, that sounds kind of populist. Okay, well, the devil is in the details. What's in it? Well, it's investing in coal and natural gas. So it's kind of like the opposite of the Green New Deal. And Joe Manchin's like, you know what? I'm not going to sit this one out. I'm going to weigh in. I'm going to endorse the Republican. Now, the thing is that we all expect this from Joe Manchin, right? But... This is a failure of leadership more so than anything. If you have a party that lacks discipline to the extent where they're literally running ads, bragging about obstructing their own party and endorsing the opposition, that shows that leadership has failed. I mean, Democrats often brag about the Democratic Party being a Big tent party. But has that not proven to be a catastrophic failure? If the tent is so big that you let in Republicans like Joe Manchin? I mean, why call him a Democrat? He's a Democrat because he has a D in front of his name. But effectively, he is a Republican. He caucuses with the Republican Party. He votes with the Republican Party. He obstructs his own party's agenda. So why allow this to happen? At a minimum, punish him, do something, but No, because the Democratic Party's leadership is feckless, and it's a microcosm of a bigger issue. It's just, you know, not about them being feckless uh, cowards. It's also about them really being aimless and not knowing what to do. And so, you know, they're looking at November and they're thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a bloodbath. What do we do? Well, the strategy, according to an article by Jonathan Lemire of Politico, is to resurrect an old failed strategy. President Joe Biden and fellow Democrats have struggled to overcome historical headwinds and worrisome economic trends in the lead up to the midterms. So aides are scheming up something else, turning the campaign into a contrast with Donald Trump and the Republicans. Biden, who has tried to pivot back toward domestic matters while also tending to the war in Ukraine, gave a hint of the upcoming strategy on his recent West Coast swing, in which he blasted the GOP for falling under the control of far-right extremists. This ain't your father's Republican Party, said Biden, who declared it the MAGA Party now, and that Republicans now are afraid to act correctly because they know they'll be primaried if they don't toe the line set by Trump and his acolytes. Never mind the fact that we just saw this strategy fail with Terry McAuliffe in his gubernatorial race against Glenn Youngkin, but you're effectively campaigning for Republicans by doing this. Because the reason why so many Republicans running for Congress kowtow to Donald Trump is because that's what the base wants. So who's this strategy supposed to appeal to? Congressional Republicans who, you know, deep down, they don't believe what they're saying, but they're just saying what they need to say to get elected. Like, this isn't going to appeal to voters because the voters like the batshit insane bullshit from Donald Trump. The more insane the Republican gets, the more popular the party becomes. So who is this supposed to appeal to? And see this is just it's such a huge issue the democratic party is so lost you have members of their own party playing for the other team while claiming to still represent the party they don't have a message they can't get anything done legislatively and biden won't take executive action to do the things that he can't do legislatively but yet they don't know what to do they're so clueless as to why young people are checking out why so many voters are opting to not show up in November. It's because there is failure after failure. I mean, there was a little bit of hope. You saw the positive reaction last week when there was this rumor based on a conversation between a member of the Hispanic caucus and Joe Biden that he would be canceling a substantial amount of student debt, perhaps $50,000, perhaps all of it. Um, But then the next day, Biden was like, "Mm, yeah, fuck no, I'm not going to do that. No, not going to cancel $50,000. So whatever he can do to actually become more popular, he's not... Doing. And the Democratic Party, they let people like Joe Manchin into the party to ruin and water down the entire party. And and so, you know, at some point, the Democratic Party, they have to stop blaming the left for all of their failures and look in the mirror and realize that all of the failures, the reason why Republicans are so extreme right now is because you allowed them to get this extreme. I mean, Republicans are looking at a six week abortion ban. That's what they're going to introduce into Congress if they are able to uh, take back the house of representatives a six-week abortion ban, a federal abortion ban, i should be clear and yet you're just you're not gonna combat that i mean abortion overall is something that americans by and large support they're reasonable enough to support that i mean democrats back down when it comes to the grooming talk they just they refuse to fight they're the biggest assets to republicans basically because they're so weak. They're complicit effectively. So it's incredibly demoralizing. You know, we're in a situation that's so bad that we have Democrats cutting ads for Republicans where he attacks Democrats and brags about obstructing their agenda, but yet the Democratic Party establishment doesn't know why they're losing and they still blame the left whenever they lose. Yeah. It's just utter horseshit and and it's incredibly frustrating. It just feels like nothing is ever going to get better in this country. So like most of you, I'm still trying to process the information that we got yesterday. I want to emphasize that I don't find this shocking. It's not surprising. This is essentially what I had expected the Supreme Court to do. But still knowing that this is happening in my lifetime, that we're seeing the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade, something that was seemingly unthinkable before, it is truly difficult to grapple with. I mean, it was on my mind all night. I couldn't sleep, woke up in the morning with a sick feeling. And it's just it's it's hard to accept how far we've fallen as a country, how far we're going back. And a particular story that one of my Facebook friends had shared is really weighing heavily on my mind today. Um, Basically, her mom told her the story about an abortion that she had before it was legal where she was blindfolded and taken to what was seemingly some random person's basement. They performed the abortion on her, put a bag over her head, and then she was at a bus stop. And she talked about how horrifying that experience was. And she doesn't know how many women made it out of that basement. She couldn't grapple with the reality that many people had died where she had gotten that abortion because the procedure was so dangerous and unsafe and she was so happy you know my friend says that her mom was crying as she was telling this story because she was really relieved knowing that her daughter would never grow up in that world and here we are in the united states of america in 2022 we are going back to coat hanger abortions in back alleys this is not a pro-life policy women are going to die because of this And Republicans who are supporting this, they think that they're pro-life. But what's interesting to me and one aspect that I wanted to talk about with regard to this story is that for some reason, after fighting for this for decades, literally, the religious right in this country, they're not celebrating in the way that we thought they would be celebrating. It's not like they're, you know— not being sore winners because they care about the left feelings. Remember, this is the fuck your feelings crowd. But there's no dunking. There's no drinking of leftist tears. There's no memes about SJWs melting down, about women not being able to kill babies anymore. They're not doing that. Instead, they're fixated on um, something else rather than taking a victory lap. And to be clear, there's some that are taking a victory lap. But if you tune into right-wing media, their uh, most prominent propagandists are talking about the leak itself rather than this giant victory that they just secured. Take a look.
2: This is so much more egregious an attack on our
6: democracy than January 6th ever was. It's not even comparable. It's not even comparable,
2: the leaking of this document.
6: Uh, This is the worst type of attack you can launch against the integrity of the United States Supreme Court.
0: So the Chief Justice it's incumbent upon him to bring every law clerk before him. Give me your phones.
6: What if this person is treated as a heroic whistleblower? And you need, it seems to me, excuse the lecture, uh, to concentrate on what the news is today. Not a leaked draft, but the fact that the draft was leaked.
2: On that.
0: Wait a second. You just won. You got a massive dub that this religious fringe of evangelicals in this country has fought for for decades. You won and you're molding, you're angry, you're more mad at the leaker as opposed to the substance. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, even if this were something that leaked, that was uh, uh, good news for me, like let's say marriage equality leaked in 2015. Um, I wouldn't care at all about the leak. I would care about the substance and the impact that that decision that I just found out about has on society. But for whatever reason, conservatives are very angry with the leaker and they're not celebrating this victory there's more though ben shapiro tweeted there is little question that this leak is designed to create threat to the life and limb of any justice who signs onto the majority opinion prosecution to the full extent of the law he adds the perverse attempt to create public pressure against the court by leaking this opinion should be prosecutable it's absolutely unprecedented justin amas tweeted leaking a draft opinion of the supreme court destroys trust among the justices and undermines justice oh give me a fucking break the justice must be able to share their thoughts candidly and vulnerably with one another. They are judges deciding cases, not legislators writing laws that need public input. Josh Hawley writes, The left continues its assault on the Supreme Court with an unprecedented breach of confidentiality, clearly meant to intimidate. The justices mustn't give in to this attempt to corrupt the process. Stay strong. Mike Cernovich tweeted, Supreme Court draft opinions don't leak. This has never happened before. I don't even have the words to describe this. So let's just pause for a moment and discuss this. Discuss why they're choosing to focus on this. The religious right just got one of the biggest victories, something that they've been fighting for for decades. They are imposing their minority theocratic opinion on the rest of society. When other developed countries, who are also religious, are moving forward, they just sent us all backwards decades. And they're mad. They got what they wanted. They won And they're mad. Something doesn't add up here. Something really fishy is going on. Either the entire conservative base of propagandists or network of propagandists, I should say, is a hive mind and some mother brain somewhere sent out the signal that they all have to be outraged about the leak. Or, this is a little bit uh, conspiratorial, admittedly so, they all are coordinating what to say. And that's a very likely thing. They're just a little bit too conspicuous here. And the reason why they're focusing on the leak itself rather than the dub that they just got is because they know exactly what the American people are going to say. They know that this is not popular. So if you can shift outrage away from the fact that women are now second class citizens and shift it onto the leaker. Then that's how you can make this really unpopular thing that's happening imposed by the right on all of us a little bit more palatable for normies. And Jason Stanley, who is the author of How Fascism Works and Philosophy Professor, explains why the gop is doing this changing the anger about the decision to anger about the leak is incredibly strategically clever it's directed at the media to get the media to shift their attention whatever worries the court has about its legitimacy it will redirect in retribution against the leaker unless the leaker turns out to be on their ideological side in which case the legal threat to the leaker will likely but not invariably dissipate so this is one of the many tactics that fascists use. And I would highly encourage you to read Jason Stanley's book. I read it a couple of years ago, and it was very, very uh, illuminating. You understand why there's so many contradictions with the far right, why they simultaneously say that their opposition is weak, and they're cucks, and they're snowflakes, but at the same time, they're very scary, and they're a threat to society. Like, you understand why they implement these tactics. It's all Strategic, it's all purposeful. And so they have to do this because they know that people are going to be fucking pissed off. As Data for Progress points out, there is not a single state where support for a federal ban on abortion has more than 30% support among the public. And that right there is why right wing propagandists are focusing on the league. This is how we're seeing in real time the way that they take unpopular things that they're doing, their will being imposed on us, rather than us getting mad at them and what they've accomplished we're getting mad at something else the leaker it's a distraction tactic this is always what they do they distract you from the real issues and that's how they impose their agenda covertly it's a masterclass in deflection it's a masterclass in propaganda and it's exactly how fascists operate because that's what they are fascists and they'll say well you know what the supreme court isn't supposed to take public opinion into account and that's theoretically true but Abortion is a constitutional right that has been affirmed multiple times by the Supreme Court. So for all this crying of activist judges, now all of a sudden, they're showing us what activist judges really are. They're not judges. They are political actors. So, you know, if they were worried about the Supreme Court's legitimacy and think that the leaker would have anything to do with that. I, I, I hate to break it to you all, but the substance of their ruling is going to have a lot more to do with the Supreme Court's legitimacy. No one should take the Supreme Court seriously. The Supreme Court at this point, in my opinion, abolish them, strip them of judicial review. That's not in the Constitution. They say that abortion isn't in the Constitution. Judicial review isn't in the Constitution. The Supreme Court's power to tell us which laws are and aren't constitutional also isn't in the Constitution. Should we strip that away from them? I mean, at this point, do what we need to to get our agenda implemented. Break the rules. I don't even care. Women are second-class citizens in this country. They're going back to coat hanger abortions in back alleys. Fuck everything that you've been told. Fuck decorum, fuck norms, fuck civility. Now is the time to stand up and take a stand because this is what fascists are doing. So before they end up manipulating all of your normie friends into thinking that really this is about the leaker, don't let them set the narrative. Don't let them monopolize discourse here. We saw the way that they did it with the George Floyd protests. Rather than focusing on the murder of an unarmed black man by a racist cop, what we got instead was a outrage over defund the police, the slogan that emerged organically. Oh, that's a terrible slogan. Even the left went along with talking about how bad of a slogan that is, rather than fixating on the substance. Don't let them distract you. Focus on the real outrage here. And that is the fact that women do not have control over their own bodily autonomy in red states in 2022. It's absolutely egregious. So one thing that I think is really important to note with regard to the post-Roe era that we will soon be entering in is that it is the case that women in blue states will still enjoy bodily autonomy. The problem, however, is that the GOP has already vocalized their intent to make that right temporary. Now, prior to the Roe leak, the GOP made it clear that they're not satisfied with abortion being a state's rights issue, and they fully intend on introducing a federal six-week abortion ban once they retake power. Now, this isn't something that they can do in the short term. If they take back the House, they can introduce and pass a bill, but Biden can still veto that. But in 2024, if they're able to win back the White House and have control over Congress, well, they can pass a federal six-week abortion ban and assuming these blue states challenge it, which they will, it can go all the way to the Supreme Court. And do you know what the Supreme Court can do? They can say, yeah, this federal six-week abortion ban is indeed constitutional. They are very ambitious and it doesn't stop with rights for women because uh, that's just really the tip of the iceberg. When it comes to marriage equality, in this opinion, Alito said very clearly That he's targeting obergfell v hodges and lawrence v texas now for those of you who don't know obergfell v hodges was the case that claimed there was a constitutional right to same-sex marriages lawrence v texas just claimed that it's legal for consenting adults to have sex with each other even if they're of the same sex in this draft opinion alito made it very clear Not for long, as Jennifer Bendery and Igor Bobick of HuffPost write, conservative Justice Samuel Alito, who authored the draft opinion, also specifically criticizes the landmark civil rights cases that legalized marriage equality, Obergfeld v. Hodges, and that legalized private consensual sex, Lawrence v. Texas. Referencing these two cases, Alito eerily says that like abortion rights, none of these rights has any claim to being deeply rooted in history. Both Alito and Justice Clarence Thomas have already publicly called for revisiting same-sex couple's constitutional right to marry. In October of 2020, they described the court's 2015 decision on marriage equality as putting a novel constitutional right over the religious liberty interests explicitly protected in the First Amendment. By doing so undemocratically, the court has created a problem that only it can fix, Alito and Thomas said at the time. Until then, Obergefell will continue to have ruinous consequences for religious liberty, that Alito is now tying his criticisms of marriage equality to an actual draft court of opinion to overturn a 50-year precedent on abortion rights should be a blurring siren for anyone concerned about constitutionally protected LGBTQ rights. So they're very, very clear. Don't be surprised when marriage equality gets overturned. Now journalist Mark Joseph Stern pointed to the provision in this draft where it lays that out. He says Alito's draft opinion explicitly criticizes Lawrence v. Texas, legalizing sodomy, and Obergefell v. Hodges, legalizing same-sex marriage. He says that, like abortion, these decisions protect phony rights that are not deeply rooted in history. So the ultimate goal isn't just to make same-sex marriages illegal again, but it's also to make sure that being gay, in and of itself, is illegal. Because now more people are out than ever. So before with Lawrence v. Texas, it was difficult to enforce these anti-sodomy laws, you know, because how can you tell if consenting adults are doing something that's illegal in the privacy of their own homes? But now we've progressed in society. Same-sex couples are married, so they can easily become targets if sodomy is uh, outlawed. And just to be very clear, sodomy isn't just anal sex, it also refers to oral sex. This is something that would affect straight people potentially as well, but we all know that that's not the way that this will be enforced. It's exclusively going to be enforced against same-sex couples. They want to make sure that gay people go back into the closet, and they do this by making them afraid to come out, knowing that they could be prosecuted in the event Um, somebody says that they're having consensual sex. That's where we're at in 2022. But it's not just same-sex marriage and gay people who they want to eradicate from existence. As Chase Strangio points out, if you are out here saying marriage equality is next, please do keep in mind that at least one state has made care for trans youth a felony right now and is currently in court defending that law. There is no next. The horror is now. And if that case makes it to the Supreme Court, take a guess as to what way they'd uh, rule. And, um, you know, in Texas currently, Republicans in that state who are in control have made it so that way if you have sought out gender affirming care for your trans child, they're going to treat you like a child abuser and potentially take your kid away from you. There have been parents who've gotten knocks on their doors from Child Protective Services because... They were public about their advocacy for their trans child. They love their trans child. And for that, they're being treated as criminals. Understand that this isn't just the social conservatism that we saw before. This is an outright witch hunt against marginalized people, against women. This is fascism and it's come to America. It's not coming to America. It's here right now and the fascists are in control. They control the Supreme Court for a generation or two. So anything that Republicans want to pass when they retake control of the White House and the House and the Senate, that can be affirmed as constitutional by the Supreme Court. So this is just the beginning. It's going to get a lot worse. And for now, you're protected if you live in a a blue state. But... That's not going to be the case forever because they have long-term ambitions. But if you're in a red state, I don't know what to even say. I mean, I want to tell you to move if you can, but moving is something that requires capital. It requires money. So it's it's easier said than done to just pick up and move because your government is doing a witch hunt against you and your kid. Of course, these people would want to move if they had the ability to do that, but they can't do that. So I don't know what has to take place. There has to be some sort of a network that we set up so we can fund these families to get the fuck out of these red states that are now hunting them down because we are in a fascist state. And it's not stopping there. Don't be surprised if they start targeting Loving v. Virginia next. GOP Senator Mike Braun accidentally, quote, quote, accidentally claimed interracial marriages should be a states' rights issue. So that was the first signal. Now he talked about how he misspoke, maybe he was just testing the water, I'm not sure, but don't be surprised if the logic that they use to repeal women's rights, Uh, marriage equality, trans rights is also applied to uh, undo interracial marriages as well. And, you know, people online, conservatives are pointing out, oh, well, why would Clarence Thomas do this? He's in an interracial marriage with a white woman. I mean, first and foremost, Clarence Thomas is a psychopath. So I actually believe that he would literally vote to end interracial marriage, even if that you know, hurts his marriage. Like, I actually think he's that psychopathic. Not even kidding about that. But additionally, they have, um, you know, a six-vote majority. So Thomas can abstain. He could not vote in that. And he could still go through. Like, you have no idea how low they will go. Remember when we were wondering how uh, when they talked about making America great again, what era they were specifically referring to? We're getting a better sense now as to what era they want to go back to. And, you know, this would all be an issue in and of itself if we had strong opposition but the democratic party has vocalized their intent to do nothing i mean some of them are saying yes let's codify let's codify roe v wade and that's really important right but for the most part you still have them saying make sure you vote in 2022 you're in control now use every power imaginable everything that you have the bully pulpit media power carrot stick throw everything at the kitchen sink you can't just tell people to vote after they did that, and you have a majority now. Yes, you have Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, and they're effectively Republicans. But that's why you fight. You don't just say, man, really hope we uh, widen our majority in the Senate so we can do something. No, you do something right now. But we have feckless leadership. Joe Biden's response has been pathetic. So, you know, Republicans continue to take our country back make it more ruthless and barbaric as other countries are progressing forward. And Democrats do fuck all about it. So we are in such a terrible situation. uh, I don't know how we go forward as a country. We're looking at two different Americas, Blue America and Red America, where Red America resembles Gilead from the television show Handmaid's Tale. And blue states are comparable to... uh, I guess other developed countries, excluding the universal healthcare and whatnot. But I mean, how do we go forward as a country when we have this fringe minority imposing their will on all of us? In every single state, including red states, people support the right to an abortion and still the Supreme Court in a giant fuck you and a dismissal of 50 years worth of precedent decided to undo that, do the unthinkable. It is going to get very bad and scary in this country. And so buckle up, we're going to have to take to the streets, even if it's frustrating because, as the George Floyd protests kind of proved to us all, you know, even if you catalyze this worldwide movement and you, you know, you march for months and people across the world march, still nothing might not happen. But I mean, if they're gonna make our lives hell, we've gotta at least make their lives hell and protest every single fucking day because there's nothing left that we can do. A minority of religious fundamentalists have taken over and they are imposing their theocratic, fascistic will on all of us. And I'm not going to take that shit lying down. Fuck that. Well, folks, I'm sure that most of you were already having a bad day, given the news that we got yesterday about the Supreme Court, which will be overturning Roe v. Wade. It'll be official in a few months or so. But I've got even more bad news. So if you don't want your mood to be soured even more, to not right now, because we have some election results from the state of Ohio. Now, I'm going to work my way backwards from um, the least important to the most important. So we'll start with the Republican primary for the Senate. J.D. Vance, who was endorsed by Donald Trump, has won after previously not liking Donald Trump and saying that Trump could be America's next Hitler. He was endorsed by Donald Trump, accepted that endorsement, and he won with 32.2% of the vote he defeated Josh Mandel who got 24.1% and then Matt Dolan came in third with 22.9% of the vote. Now in terms of who I was rooting for in this particular race, well, no one because they're both absolutely insane. So either way, they uh I, I mean, I don't I don't know what to say. These are Marjorie Greens That are trying to get elected to the Senate. And it seems as if J.D. Vance is the one who's going to take on the Democrat. That's the more important question for me. Who's the Democrat that will be taking on J.D. Vance? Well, we've got bad news here as well, because I was rooting for Morgan Harper, somebody who actually cared, and she lost because the corporate Democrat, Tim Ryan, won in a landslide. With 70.1% of the vote, Morgan Harper came in a distant second with 17.5 percentage points. Tracy Johnson came in third with 12.5 percentage points. Now, I'm not sure why people would vote for a Tim Ryan after he has proven to be a liar. He co-sponsored Medicare for All as a member of the House of Representatives. And then when he was running for president, he argued against it and said he would vote against it. So, I mean, he basically admitted that he's a liar and he just says and does things to get elected. But now he's going to be the one to take on J.D. Vance. Good luck. I hope he beats J.D. Vance. I I genuinely do. But just if given the opportunity between somebody who cares, like Morgan Hopper and uh, Tim Ryan, Democratic Party voters overwhelmingly always choose the corporate Democrat. And then they complain that the country is continuing to go in this bad direction because they elect people who aren't inspirational who don't really care who just go along to get along and then they complain i mean this is why the country's in bad state you keep electing democrats like this corporate democrats fraud democrats like tim ryan but again i prefer him to jd vance i hope that he defeats jd vance but who knows what's going to happen so um you know the cuckoo republican will take on the corporate democrat Good luck. Now, getting to the race that I care about the most between Chantelle Brown and Nina Turner, there was hope, in my opinion, that she could win because Corey Bush, she actually lost, and it was by like 20 points in 2018 to Lacey Clay. And then in 2020, she beat him. So I thought, okay, Nina Turner can do this. It's a new district. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of issues with Chantelle Brown with regard to corruption, conflicts of interest, but Unfortunately, no. It's a little bit early. 53% of reporting right now, but it's been called for Chantel Brown with 63.4% of the vote to Nina Turner's 36.6% of the vote. This is something that the Democratic Party establishment, once again, worked really hard to accomplish. And unfortunately, progressives have failed Nina Turner. I mean, I'm really thankful that Bernie Sanders decided to endorse her. Um, I guess I'm thankful that AOC endorsed her a few hours before the election. Thanks, better late than never. Uh, But, you know, other members of Congress, Cori Bush, Ilhan Omar, Pramila Jayapal, they abandoned Nina Turner. They didn't endorse her. They weren't there for her. And, you know, it's frustrating because if you get into Congress and then you close the door behind you and you don't help to leave that open so other progressives can get elected, then you're going to continue to be useless in Congress. Your numbers will continue to be small if you don't help others get elected. So, I mean, when progressives say, oh, well, we need more uh, people like us in Congress, you're not really making that easier, are you? I mean, you know these candidates. They're fighting. They're fighting so hard, taking grassroots donations, and what they need is your support. And you weren't there. So, you know, uh, shame on all the progressives in Congress, with the exception of AOC, I guess, for coming out at the last minute. You all failed Nina Turner. Now, I'm not necessarily sure, you know, what the specifics are. There's probably going to be some post-election analyses that will be really useful for us in terms of learning and growing. But I mean, the voters in this district, at least most of them, because the district has been changed a little bit, but most of them, they had the choice twice to choose someone who actually cares. And they rejected that. They rejected Nina Turner in favor of a corporate Democrat who's under an ethics probe for conflicts of interest. So she's delivering for her donors. She's proven that. And she's also claiming she's a progressive, but she's part of the New Deal, uh, New Democrats Coalition, rather. So, I mean, you elected a corporate Democrat. Don't be surprised or angry when things continue to deteriorate in this country because you keep electing Democrats who don't actually care. Nina Turner has made it very clear she's hungry. She wants to get in there and, and fight. But you all chose the corporate Democrat. So, that's the state of American politics. Um, I've got to say, you know, not to get everyone too doomer pilled, but it feels like nothing is going to be conducive to change, right? What avenue is there currently, you know, that is actually going to demonstrably have an impact? Because electoral politics clearly seems like it's a dead end. The Democratic Party isn't going to change. Progressives in Congress are too weak to fight. Um, And, you know, if you want to go the third party route, That sounds great, right? But we need electoral reform and nobody's really fighting for that to reform the system. And you can't get electoral reform unless you get more Democrats in Congress like Nina Turner, who actually wants electoral reform to make it a more proportional system. So the electoral, you know, um, avenue just seems a little bit like a dead end. But then there's the uh, grassroots. (laughs) What do you do there? Because the George Floyd protests showed us that you can be in the streets for months. You can catalyze a global movement have, you know, people marching in every single city in the globe, uh, around the globe, in solidarity, and what happens? Fuck all. So it's just a matter of us waiting to be consumed by climate change, get engulfed by the flames of climate change. It's just, you know, hopefully things won't get that much worse until then. But that's, that's kind of where we're at. And it's really, you know, I'm just kind of freestyling it right now, for lack of a better word, but I mean, I mean, how can you not feel demoralized? And I get it, right? You know, I always tell myself, just keep going, and I'm never going to quit, because that's what the Democratic Party establishment wants. They want to beat us down, so we check out. The entire political establishment wants to beat us down, so we check out. That's what they want. But it's hard to not give in. It's hard to not give in, because nothing changes in this fucking country. I mean, look at the way that Democrats are responding to abortion. Vote. We did that. We did that in 2020, and you're all not fighting. Do you think that Republicans, if they had the uh slim majority that Democrats have right now, that they would be putting up these excuses about the parliamentarian or procedural hurdles? No, they would just accomplish what they want to accomplish by any means necessary. So we've seen a fascist takeover of the United States with this uh, minority imposing their will on the majority and Democrats are just unwilling to fight. What was Biden's response to abolishing the filibuster? Not ready to have that conversation yet or something to that nature. It's just the situation is, it it feels so hopeless. I get why people want to check out. I understand why young voters have no interest in voting. See, for me, not voting, never an option. I live in Oregon. It's super simple. They mail me uh, my ballot. I could take as much time as I need to fill it out. I could research each and every single candidate. But if you live in one of these states, like a red state where there's voter suppression and you have to drive an hour away, potentially, if they reduce the number of polling uh, stations, and then you have to wait in line for hours, I I, I don't know that I would do it given these circumstances. Just being honest. I mean, I I would certainly try to force myself to do that. But, you know, voting it seems like more and more each year it gets more difficult and there's no change to accommodate this right voting rights was killed biden said he's gonna fight after cinema was like no we're not getting rid of the filibuster even though i did carve outs for other things but nope not getting rid of the rid of the filibuster and biden's like oh we're gonna fight and then we never heard about it again And cinema saying the same thing. Oh, I think that abortion is a sacred right, but we're not getting rid of the filibuster. I mean, our political system, it just feels as if there's nothing left that will actually catalyze change besides it completely collapsing, which is scary because as much as you all want a revolution, I don't want a revolution knowing how much power the fascists have because we're much more likely to have a fascistic authoritarian revolution than we are to have a socialist or anti-capitalist revolution of that nature. So, I just, we're locked in to this death spiral, and it feels like we can't escape it. So, in this circumstance, we're all going to have to do some digging deep within and ask ourselves, what can we pull out to try to find something to keep us going? We're going to have to dig deep, because giving up is obviously not an option, but I get how demoralizing the situation is currently. You have feckless Democrats in control. They're the one opposition to fascist Republicans, and they don't want to fight. Republicans are very hungry and eager to fight and take away more of our civil rights and civil liberties. And so I just I don't know what to do. You know, it sometimes it feels as if I I'm supposed to because I have a platform, come out here and be a leader. But like all of you, I feel just as helpless. I'm fighting depression. I'm fighting you know the desire, the overwhelming desire to just give up and say, "Fuck it all." But I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to find something. I'm going to dig deep to keep me going. But goddamn, is it hard? Goddamn, is it really difficult in this moment? It feels as if nothing is going to get better in this godforsaken country. Even when there's a glimmer of hope, Biden's going to cancel a substantial amount of student debt. Oh my God, will he cancel 50,000? No, he tells us to eat shit the next day. There's just no hope. It's all doom. It's all gloom. The situation is rapidly deteriorating. And it just feels as if that's what the future will be for the rest of our lives. It, it's so frustrating. And I, I genuinely, I don't want people to get depressed or, or bogged down or, or doom-pilled because of what I'm saying. But I, I just want you to know that I, I empathize with you. I understand this feeling of hopelessness that you feel as well. It's overwhelming. I, I, I can't shake, you know, uh, this feeling of dread that I feel every single morning when I get out of bed. It's very tough. This is what all of us are dealing with currently. So the reason why I'm telling you all of this is because I want you to know that you're not alone. There are other people who feel the same way. We're all feeling this together. You're not suffering alone. We're all experiencing this currently, collectively. So that's one thing, I guess, to hang on to, that we're all in this together. And that's incredibly corny, but it's true. There are more of us than there are of them. We just have to find some way to change the goddamn trajectory of this country. And I was gonna say before it's too late, but it might already be too late. I I just, I don't know. So I wanna talk about this clip that's making the rounds on social media. Uh, So Ben Shapiro on his program is going to respond to what I'm assuming he believes is liberal hysteria over the prospect that the Supreme Court might target other really important decisions might overturn decisions like Griswold v. Connecticut, Obergefell v. Hodges, Lawrence v. Texas, Loving v. Virginia. He thinks that if you think that because they overturned Roe v. Wade that they just automatically start targeting other uh, high-profile cases, sorry you're stupid you don't know the way that the supreme court works now what you're going to notice is that as he goes on this rant he's inadvertently going to make it very clear that he knows nothing about the supreme court and the way it actually functions and he exhibits an almost childlike level of naivete here and if i were him i would be embarrassed but this is a propagandist so it's not necessarily about anything other than just disseminating what the republican party wants you to uh Disseminate. So watch what he says here, and then I will tell you why what he's saying is silly if it isn't already apparent to you by watching it.
3: Meanwhile, the, the Democrats are really trying to push hard, particularly the Democrats in the media. So you've got ABC's Terry Moran saying that this that you never know what they might do next. What are they going to do next? My God, the Supreme Court. They, they might actually go back and overrule Loving versus Virginia and allow states to ban interracial marriage. Oh, really? That wasn't even based on the right to privacy, you idiots. That's based on the Equal Protection Clause. Wrong constitutional clause, you morons. And then they try to, well, they might overturn Obergefell. First of all, Obergefell is a bad Supreme Court decision. And if we had a Supreme Court with itself, they would overturn Obergefell, but they're not going to. They explicitly say, Alito says, I think three separate times in that decision that I read in nearly its totality on the air yesterday, that this has no impact on other cases of different lines, which is a clear reference to Obergefell, repeatedly. Okay, but Democrats know that deep down in the cockles of their tiny little Grinch-like hearts on abortion, they know that the abortion issue is not a winner. So they're trying to expand it out. Say, well, you never know the Supreme Court. They might go after gay rights. They might go after. Mm-hmm. Sure, you're right. The same Supreme Court in which Neil Gorsuch idiotically ruled that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 covers transgender people is going to now overrule Obergefell. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, Terry, go for it. I don't know if he realizes how naive and silly he sounds.
0: So the first thing that he says is that, you know, the reason why Democrats have to pretend as if this is really about gay marriage, a more popular issue, is because abortion is a losing issue. It's, uh, it's unpopular. Americans agree with uh, us, the theocrats. They agree with us. They don't agree with you. So what you're trying to do is really brilliant. You're trying to make people believe that because they overturned Roe, they're going to overturn Obergville and ban gay marriages next. But nope, this is all just a distraction. Ben, first and foremost, Facts don't care about your feelings, bitch. This is not a losing issue for Democrats. It's a losing issue for you. A Data for Progress poll shows that there's not a single state in the country where a federal ban on abortion has more than 30% support. And that is not the only poll that gets this result. Every single poll shows that Americans actually agree that Roe v. Wade should not be overturned. So it's not speculation as a means of distraction, uh, distracting people to think that, oh, wow, the Supreme Court might target other civil rights that we've fought for years to achieve. Um, It's just being logical because this Supreme Court is fucking insane. And you would acknowledge why it's reasonable to deduce that they are going to target Obergefell and Griswold, because this court is insane, and I love this line. So he says, They might actually go back and overrule Loving v. Virginia, he says this mockingly, and allow states to ban interracial marriages. Oh, really? That wasn't even based on the right to privacy, you idiots. That's based on the Equal Protection Clause. Wrong Constitutional Clause, you morons! I honestly find it adorable that there are still dipshits in the country that are this naive, that think that the Supreme Court is some apolitical government institution, and really, they're above the fray in politics. They don't have biases like the rest of us. They don't impose their will on all of us and then find some legal rationale or constitutional justification for their reactionary rulings. Nope. They're strictly following the constitution. They're adhering to some sort of judicial philosophy. You know, they really want to ban gay marriage, but they think, man, I can't because this precedent and this constitutional reasoning in that case is just so sound. No dumb fuck. They're going to do what they want to do And then they're going to say that it's because of this reason in the Constitution to dupe rubes like you into thinking that this institution has any legitimacy, but it doesn't. It's a nakedly political institution, and anyone who thinks otherwise at this point is fucking stupid. You are the moron if you think that they're not just political actors. Ben, I just, it's shocking. But the reason why he thinks that they're not political actors is because Alito said so. Um, so they're not going to ban gay marriage because Alito says, I think, uh, three separate times that this has no impact on other cases of different lines. And you believe that? We're supposed to believe that because Alito says, oh, well, this only applies to Roe, that it's not going to extend to Obergfell. It doesn't need to extend to Obergfell. If they want to overturn Obergfell, they will. They will do what they want, and then they'll find the constitutional rationale for it somewhere. That's the way that they operate. That's the way that they've always operated. You want to know what isn't in the Constitution? Judicial review. The Supreme Court literally gave themselves the power to strike down laws that were unconstitutional. They gave themselves the ability to rule on laws and tell you whether or not they are constitutional or not. That's not in the constitution, but they still have it. I mean, the whole fucking institution is founded on them just making things up as they go along. So you honestly believe that they're going to be bound by precedent after they just overturned 50-year precedent. I mean, Ben, you you can't, there's no way that he believes this. And other Republicans are saying the same thing. So apparently they got the call, the talking points are in, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley are saying the same fucking thing. They always say the same thing in unison. They claim that they're not going to ban gay marriages because, you know, that's popular and abortion is really divisive. So I mean, again, I'm not sure if they're a hive mind and the mother brain is communicating the new talking points to them, or if they're robots and the new talking points just got uploaded or if they all have like some giant group email and they get their new talking points daily and they all say the same thing. Look, I'm not knocking it. I think that this level of message discipline is something that I wish the Democrats would attempt, but they don't. They're all over the place. But, you know, what they're saying here is disingenuous. They know that the peasants would revolt if they found out that we're losing a ton of civil rights and civil liberties that we fought decades for all at once. So they have to drip feed fucking us over. Otherwise, you know, we might uh, react in a way that is uh, scary for them. Who knows? Uh, But I love how the logic is It's not going to happen because Alito said so. Here's what they said about Roe v. Wade, Ben.
6: I believe the
1: Constitution protects the right to privacy, and I have no reason or agenda to prejudge the issue. Roe v. Wade is uh, an important precedent of the Supreme Court. It was decided in 1973. It has been challenged on a number of occasions and the Supreme Court has reaffirmed the decision. When a decision is challenged and it is reaffirmed, that strengthens its value. Roe versus Wade decided in 1973
6: is a president of the United States Supreme Court. It has been reaffirmed, so a good judge will consider it as precedent of the United States Supreme Court, worthy as treatment of precedent like any other. As a judge, it is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Been reaffirmed many times. Casey is precedent on precedent.
2: I do not believe that Brett Kavanaugh will overturn. Precedents are overturned all the time. They aren't overturned all the time. He views precedent not just as a legal doctrine, but as rooted in our Constitution.
6: Neil Gorsuch, for whom you voted, don't you think he's probably going to vote to overturn Roe versus Wade if given the chance?
2: I actually don't. Roe is not a super precedent because calls for its overruling have never ceased,
4: but that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled.
0: Now, yes, the overly dramatic music is cringeworthy, and I wish that they didn't include that, but the point stands that they all say one thing and do another, right? They all essentially lied. And what are you going to do about it? These are lifetime appointments. You can't hold them accountable. Impeaching them is nearly impossible, so they can do what the fuck they want. And so you're lucky that they even pretend to have some sort of judicial philosophy that they adhere to, but I mean, they're kind of just shedding away with the facade at this point, are they not? Uh, You know, uh, overturning Roe v. Wade is pretty big. It shows that they don't care about even being viewed as a political branch. They're political and, you know, they're okay with that. But people like Ben Shapiro think, oh, no, this institution is very sacred. They adhere very carefully to these judicial uh, philosophies that they learned in law school. Shut the fuck up. No, they don't. They make everything up. They make everything up, and you know they do, Ben. I know that you know they do. Ben Shapiro is saying stupid things, but I don't believe that he's dumb enough to believe this. They're making it up as they go along. And just going back to him saying that Obergefell v. Hodges should be overturned, he's just casually admitting that he's a bigot. He's telling everyone, I don't think that same-sex couples should have the right to marry. That's that's something that it's pretty bold to say in 2022, is it not? You're a bigot. Okay, well, fuck you. Nobody cares about what you have to say. I don't care that you think that Obergefell wasn't decided on sound uh, constitutional grounds. I don't give a fuck. What matters is we have the right, okay? And he wants gay marriages to be banned, even though he has friends like Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin is going to lose his marriage. I wonder what he's going to say when he hears Ben Shapiro go on this rant. You want to fuck over your own friends, Ben Shapiro? And the answer is yes, because he's a psychopath like the Supreme Court justices who will do anything to impose their theocratic authoritarian views on the rest of us. This is fascism, and every single good person in the United States has to resist it in any way that they can, because this is absolutely unacceptable, and if you believe them when they say they're going to stop an abortion, I've got a bridge to sell you. It is truly incredible to know that Democrats are so shameless that in the same week that they are denouncing the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, they're campaigning, doing rallies for an anti-abortion Democrat named Henry Cuellar. And it's not like he's the only option. This is the Democratic Party primary where a progressive woman who is pro-choice is running. And who did Democratic Party leadership choose to uh, back? Henry Cuellar, they're doing rallies for him this week, Nancy Pelosi is, and uh, Jim Clyburn is. Yeah, but yet they're denouncing the decision to repeal Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court. It's unbelievable but it's still so believable like it's predictable but it's still shocking how brazen they are now thankfully voters are noticing this and there is backlash as brett wilkins of common dreams explains in the wake of the bombshell leak of a u.s supreme court draft opinion likely signifying the reversal of roe v wade progressives on tuesday blasted the three ranking house democrats for voicing support for reproductive rights while continuing to back anti-choice representative henry cuellar's bid for re-election in texas house speaker nancy pelosi majority leader Steny hoyer and majority whip James Cliburn, all expressed alarm over the prospect that the landmark 49-year-old Supreme Court ruling guaranteeing the right to abortion will be overturned while affirming their support for reproductive rights. However, critics took all three Democratic leaders to task for their endorsements of Cuellar, the House Democrat with the strongest anti-choice record. A day after his office and home were raided by FBI agents in January as part of a federal probe relating to the country of Azerbaijan, Cuellar remotely addressed the Democrats for Life annual March for Life Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and was awarded the group's Legislator of the Year award for his defense of life from womb to tomb. Oh, that's hilarious. He's defending life from womb to tomb. But yet, if, you know, that, that life needs healthcare, care, mm, sorry, you can die if you can't afford it. Unbelievable. Now, it's not just uh, Pelosi, Hoyer, and Clyburn who have endorsed him. I believe it's also Hakeem Jeffries, too. So, all of Democratic leadership is rallying behind this forced birther over a progressive woman this is who's leading the Democratic Party. And you wonder why it's in such bad shape. I mean, if they put half as much effort into fighting Republicans as hard as they fight progressives, then perhaps we might actually have some progress in this country. But they don't fight the people in their country who are obstructing them, like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Democrats fight against progressives. Look at how many people came out to stop Nina Turner. Even Joe Biden endorsed Chantel Brown over Nina Turner. So, they are absolutely willing to fight, it's just that they don't choose to fight Republicans, they choose to fight members of their own party who actually want change. Now, Henry Cuellar's primary opponent, who's facing him in a runoff race on May 24th, decided to respond to this because, I mean, if you care about Roe, then you can't just say that, you have to put your money where your mouth is, and she called on them to withdraw support for Henry Cuellar. Take a look.
4: As the Supreme Court prepares to overturn Roe v. Wade, I am calling on Democratic Party leadership to withdraw their support of Henry Goya, who is the last anti-choice Democrat in Congress. At every turn, my Congressman has stood in opposition to the Democratic Party agenda from being anti-union to being anti-choice. And with the House majority on the line, Goya could very much be the deciding vote on the future of reproductive rights in this country, and we just cannot afford that risk. On May 24th, we will defeat the last anti-choice Democrat, and South Texas will finally have a representative in their corner who will fight for their healthcare, their jobs, and their freedom. I hope Democratic Party leadership won't stand in the way of delivering for South Texan families, and I'm ready to work with them to deliver on the Democratic agenda. But we cannot do this alone. We can win this, but it's going to take all of us. We only have 20 days to get this done. If you live in the district, I hope to count on your vote and I hope to see you out there knocking on some doors to get out the vote for the May 24th election. And it's also really easy to support our campaign from wherever you are. Please consider tripping in 10, 20, $30, whatever you can do, or joining one of our phone banks. Please go to Jessica Cisneros for Congress.com. That's Jessica Cisneros, C-I-S-N-E-R-O-S for Congress.com to get plugged in. Thank you so much for your support.
0: She should not have to do this. One of the stipulations from getting the endorsement and support and money from Democratic Party leadership should be that you unapologetically would defend the right to an abortion. But they're backing him over somebody who does, who's progressive. And he was raided by the FBI. And they're like, "Mm, still, we'd rather have him than the progressive. It is just truly... ridiculous. Democrats have no standards. And it's not just corporate Democrats who have no standards. Progressive Democrats also have no standards because they allow anyone into the Progressive Caucus. A member like Chantel Brown, who's part of the New Democrats Caucus as well, who fights against progressives, is also part of the Progressive Caucus. So Democrats, they don't care. They let anti-abortion people in their party. Nancy Pelosi said before that the issue of abortion was hurting them, which is not true, by the way. And she also said that, of course, anti-abortion Democrats should be welcomed into the party because we're a big tent party. It's the that's so big that we allow Republicans in but somehow exclude leftists from being part of this party. I mean, they would literally let Mitch McConnell be a Democrat and he could change nothing. All he changes is his party affiliation, but he could still support all of the same policies. They defend him. They endorse him over the left. It's just this is the state of the Democratic Party. They have power. And rather than trying to fight to stop Republicans, they're aiding People who are fighting alongside Republicans like Henry Quay are over a progressive woman who wants to fight for the people. It's just, it's repulsive. And the Democratic Party's base has to stop giving them a pass. I understand that it's scary. When you see the juxtaposition juxtaposition between Democrats and Republicans being in power. I get that. Democrats are better compared to Republicans. Republicans are an organized death cold. But you can't keep giving Democrats a pass. You can't keep letting them get away with this. You have to hold them accountable at some point. And you could start by not voting for corporate Democrats. Actually look up who's running in your district and vote for the progressive as opposed to the incumbent corporatist that leadership endorsed, okay? That's the one thing that you can do that's really important. Stop letting them dupe you. Actually, I don't know, hold them accountable. I just, it feels like this country is a lost cause, right? Everyone's complaining, things are getting worse, but nobody's willing to put effort in to make it better. I just want to take a moment to think about how effective the far right is in this country. They're able to impose their minority views on all of American society, all while Democrats are in control of Congress and the White House. But it's still Republicans who are dictating the terms of where we're going to go, the trajectory of this country. And the trajectory is they're trying to drive us straight off of a cliff. Now, it wouldn't be as bad of a situation, even though it's still bad, but it wouldn't be as bad if we had an opposition party that actually was capable and wanted to fight these fascists, but they don't. So when uh, the news broke, Nancy Pelosi on that same day was campaigning for an anti-abortion Democrat. In fact, Democratic Party leadership, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, Hakeem Jeffries. They all endorsed an anti-abortion Democrat. And this week, as the Supreme Court, as we all learned that they're going to be overturning Roe v. Wade, they're all out campaigning for an anti-abortion Democrat, over a progressive. But don't you worry, though, because they vocalized their disapproval. And Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi wrote a strongly worded letter letting everyone know how bad it is that the Supreme Court did this while they campaigned for an anti-abortion Democrat themselves. And while other Democrats didn't endorse this anti-abortion Democrat, they made it very clear that the onus is on voters to fight this. Eric Swalwell writes via Twitter, there is one and only one way to preserve Roe v. Wade and protect a woman's right to choose, and that's to vote blue in 2020. 2022. The triple C chair Sean Maloney tweeted, Democrats were angry and hurt, I know, but it's not about filibuster, size of the court or whatever the Senate hasn't passed. It's about Republicans, not us. We can save our freedoms, but it's November, stupid. In other words, we might have the power currently to do something, but we don't have enough power. So if you don't give us more power when we're basically projected to lose more power, then that's on you. You should have voted harder. Somebody shared the perfect meme underneath Eric Swalwell's tweet. It is a meme of Lucy and Charlie Brown, and uh, Lucy is assuring him, this is it, Charlie Brown. If you vote one more time, there will be real change. Yeah. See, the problem is that you're expected to lose power in November, not gain power. Now, perhaps Roe v. Wade being overturned will change that. I'm not necessarily sure. To be honest, I'm not thinking about the political implications of this. I'm thinking about the real-world harm that this is going to cause on women. I'm not trying to find a way to, you know, um, have some sort of a political victory over this. Uh, But, you know, Democrats, their goal is to get elected, right? But, I mean, to do it in this way, it feels so slimy. You're telling us to vote harder. You should fucking fight harder, okay? Now, I can't necessarily say that about members of the House, like Eric Swalwell, because the House did its part, but you're still a Democrat who could put pressure on your party's leadership, who's currently stumping for an anti-abortion Democrat. You could reach out, uh, you know, to the president—I'm assuming you have his ear—and tell him, hey, maybe one more time, try fighting Mansion in cinema. I understand that the situation feels hopeless, but you still just can't do nothing. You still have to fight as the president. Use carrots, use sticks, just show us that there's a sign of life somewhere. But I mean the president is definitely not going to do anything because when he was asked about abolishing the filibuster in order to codify Roe v. Wade, this is what he had to say.
2: I guess,
1: uh,
2: I'm not I'm not prepared to make those judgments now. About, uh, but you know, uh, I think the codification of Roe makes a lot of sense. Look, think what Roe says. Roe says what all basic mainstream religions have historically concluded: that right, that the existence of a human life and being is a question. Is it at the moment of conception? Is it six months? Is it six weeks? Is it is it quickening like? Aquinas argued. I mean, so the idea that we're going to make a judgment that is going to say that no one can make the judgment to choose to abort a child based on a decision by the Supreme Court, I think goes way overboard.
3: Wow. Thank you. Thank
0: you, How fucking inspiring. Rather than assuring the base, That he's going to do everything in his power to codify roe v wade by any means necessary including fighting to get rid of the filibuster even if that seems like a lost cause he's saying "Uh, i'm not prepared to make those judgments yet i'm not even sure if i want to have this fight because i might want to keep the filibuster even if i know what that means for women in this country even if that means they go back to back alley coat hanger abortions in 2022 i've got to think about it for a little bit longer not sure if i want to fight yet And yet we're supposed to be excited to get out and vote because you're going to fight for us. You have power now. You have to make use of it. You have to fucking fight. Make do with what you have now because you will lose power almost certainly in November. So to have this expectation that you're going to gain more power by guilt tripping voters is ridiculous make use of what you got. And if it's not good enough, then you could at least show us that you're going to fight, but you're sitting on your fucking asses and you're doing nothing while fascists ruin this country. How pathetic are Democrats. Joe Biden is conceding before the fight even has began, and he's the president of the United States. Is there a more feckless and inconsequential president in American history? I can't think of one. Oh, but don't worry. He wants there to be a fight. It's just that he wants you to fight, not him. So, President Biden says voters will have to defend fundamental abortion rights in U.S. if Supreme Court scraps guarantees. Oh, really? And how in the fuck do you suppose that we do that, Joe Biden? Back in 2020, Voters took to the streets every single day after a racist cop murdered George Floyd. In fact, that movement catalyzed a global Black Lives Matter movement. And do you want to know what happened? Nothing, nothing happened after that. So what are we supposed to do? Well, the one thing that we can do is vote harder. Okay, uh, then what? Are you going to fight if we give you three more senators? Well, we don't have 60. Okay, if we give you uh, 61 senators, well, two of them, they don't agree with us. So I mean, there's never going to be enough senators, enough Democrats in Congress for them to actually fight because they don't want to fight. They've demonstrated this time and time again. They surrender immediately because they just don't give a fuck. They don't care now. I know what people are going to say. Look, they tried fighting. They tried passing voting rights. They tried passing Build Back Better. But Mansion and Cinema, they just won't budge. The problem is that there's always going to be some corporate Democrat who's the scapegoat, right? If it's not Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, it'll be John Tester and uh, some other dickhead. Before it was Joe Lieberman. There's always going to be a villain who Democrats will blame for their incompetence. But even if it's the case that nothing you do will get Joe Manchin and cinema to budge, which I don't believe, by the way, but even if there's nothing you can do, you have to at least exhaust all options and try everything. And Democrats have conceded before the fight even begins. Before he even talks to Manchin and Cinema, presumably, he's saying, eh, I don't even know if I want to get rid of the filibuster for this. It's just not important to me. They never fight. They always back down. And this isn't a new phenomenon. This is what Democrats have always done. For example, take a look at the way that um, Obama responded uh, to Roe v. Wade before and after he got elected.
4: What would you do at the federal level, not only to ensure access to abortion, but to make sure that the uh, judicial nominees that you will inevitably be able to pick are true to the core tenets of Roe v. Wade?
1: Well, the first thing I'd do as president is, is sign the Freedom of Choice Act. Uh, that's the first uh, now, the Freedom of Choice Act is not my highest legislative priority. I believe that uh, women should have the right to choose, uh, but uh, I think that uh, the most important thing we can do to tamp down some of the, um, the anger surrounding this issue uh, is to focus on those areas that we can agree on. Uh, and that's, uh, that's where I'm going to focus.
0: Yeah, see, now, back then, do you want to know what the story was? It wasn't that Obama just decided to give up on codifying Roe v. Wade. The story was, well, we might have a filibuster-proof Senate majority, but the problem is Joe Lieberman, he just won't budge. We have 59 votes and we have, uh, we need 60 votes. So, um, I mean, you should have voted harder. Fuck any Democrat who is in power currently and shifts the responsibility on to voters. You have power. We don't. Fight now. Work with what you've got. Don't expect voters to deliver you a bigger majority because you can't accomplish shit that you need to accomplish because you refuse to fight. You have to fight right now if you expect voters to elect more Democrats because if they see that you're doing fuck all, they're not going to vote harder for you. Do you understand that? Do you understand that this is why people hate Democrats, including their own base? because this is what you do. It's not like Democrats don't know how to fight because they know how to fight progressives and and leftist candidates very fucking well. It's just that they choose to not fight when it's convenient. They choose to back down from fights against Republicans because, you know, this isn't necessarily something that they care about from a policy standpoint. They just want to fundraise off of it and use it as some sort of a cudgel to beat voters with. Well, fuck that. Fuck any Democrat who does this. It's unacceptable. Stop letting them use this excuse. Stop all of the bullshit excuses. They're not fighting right now and they're in power. Again, even if you fight and you fail, At least you can tell us that you tried, but they're not even fucking trying and they're just saying, I'm not going to do anything. You have to do something. Voters have to fight. How do we do that? How the fuck do we do that? There's more voter suppression now than there was in 2020. And you expect more people to come out and vote? I just, Their logic makes no sense. The reason why Republicans are ruining this country is because they know Democrats aren't going to do a single fucking thing about this. Why? Because Democrats are insulated from all of the bad things that Republicans are doing. All of these rich Democrats in Congress, you know, they're not going to lose access to abortion. They could just go to a blue state. They can go to a different country if they need an abortion. They're not going to lose health care. They don't have to be uh, bogged down by student debt for the rest of their lives. So they don't give a fuck. They're insulated from all of the cruel things that the GOP does to us. So they just sit there and they, uh, you know, keep that seat warm until Republicans inevitably take it over. It's just it's truly a horrible death spiral that we're locked into where, you know, Americans are so fed up with Republicans that they vote for Democrats and then Democrats do nothing so they don't turn out to vote. Republicans take over again and then, you know, Democrats win again after we're reminded of how terrible the Republicans are. Like, how do we break this cycle? I don't know that we can break this cycle. I think that we're just going to continue to spiral until climate change engulfs all of us in flames. Like, it's a sad state of reality, but I mean, it's, it's fucking true at this point. There's no hope and Democrats are so weak and pathetic that they have backed down every single time and they still, the onus on voters what a pathetic excuse for a political party holy shit amazon labor union president chris smalls was invited to speak before the senate budget committee by committee chairman senator bernie sanders and what we're going to see is him speak truth to power and it is incredible it's a fairly long clip but every single second is worthwhile because not only does he explain what's happening to workers but he also confronts Andy Bunk's myths espoused by shills of these companies. He addresses Lindsey Graham in particular. Uh, now, I'm going to play the clip for you, but first, I do want to give you a little bit of context because we don't see Lindsey's remarks here, but this HuffPost article does fill us in specifically on what he said. As Davy Jameson explains, Chris Small showed up at the U.S. Senate in Washington on Thursday wearing a Yankees ball cap and a jacket that said, eat the rich on the back, based. His ensuing testimony to the Senate Budget Committee stayed true to form, speaking as a witness in Invited by committee chair Senator Bernie Sanders, the Amazon labor union leader pilloried the world's largest online retailer as a union buster and explained in detail to senators what workers faced during a labor organizing campaign. Smalls began his testimony by taking aim at Senator Lindsey Graham, the committee's ranking Republican. Graham had said in his opening remarks that Sanders' hearing would unfairly malign Amazon as a piece of crap company. What a load of horseshit. He warned against implementing Sanders' proposal to bar companies that have violated labor law from receiving federal contracts. So leave it to Lindsey Graham to be the biggest bootlicker in the country. He's saying even as these companies violate labor laws, um, we should do nothing. It's just, it's ridiculous. But I love Uh, that Chris Smalls addressed him and you're gonna see that. But can we just talk about him wearing his eat the rich jacket around a bunch of rich people? I mean, is that not amazing? Now, he also met with President Joe Biden today and guess what he wore? Of course, his eat the rich jacket. I I mean, (laughs) uh, he is an absolute legend. Now, he tweeted out afterwards, just met the president, lol. He said, I got him in trouble. Good. You love to see it. Now, uh, here is the video of Chris Smalls testifying before the Senate Budget Committee. Uh, this is it in its entirety. It's about five minutes. So um, enjoy.
5: Um, well, first of all, I want to address Mr. Graham. Um, first off, you know, you're it sound like you was talking about more of the companies and the businesses in your speech, but you forgot that the people are the ones who make this these companies operate, and if we're not protected, and that the process for when we hold these companies accountable is not working for us, then that's not what, that's the reason why we're here today. That's the reason why I'm here, to represent the workers who make these companies go. And I think that it's in your best interest to realize that it's not a, a left or right thing. It's not a Democrat or a Republican thing. It's a worker's thing, it's a worker's issue, and we're the ones that are suffering in the corporations that you're talking about, in the businesses that you're talking about, in the warehouses that you're talking about. So that's the reason why I think I was invited today to speak on that behalf. And you should listen because we do represent your constituents as well. Um, So just take that into consideration that the people are the ones that make these corporations go. It's It's not the other way around. So, um, as the current interim president of the Amazon Labor Union, who represent 8,300 workers in Staten Island, an independent worker-led union that won their election on April 1st, um, I'm going to tell you this. uh, We organized for over a year, and throughout the course of that year, Amazon spent millions of dollars, as you mentioned, Senator Sanders. Um, Myself, including a few other organizers, was arrested outside for organizing, arrested for delivering food to their coworkers. I wanted to reiterate that as well. You know, the type of things that Amazon do, um, breaking the law, intimidation, these are real things that traumatize workers in this country. You know, thousands of workers across this country who are in the process of organizing, who have the desire to organize in the United States. Um, We want to feel that we have protections. We want to feel that the government is allowing us to use our constitutional rights to organize. Um, The notion that people in the United United in this democracy will outmatch outmatch tyranny is the oldest American ideal. This clearly defined legal process to do this, and workers like us have the rights protected by the First Amendment and the National Labor Relations Act. However, despite all of this, our victory in Staten Island was lauded as newsworthy and inspirational. For the thousands of workers across the country, hundreds of thousands of workers, and even though we may have won, we did everything right, pressuring Amazon to recognize our victory and comply with our legal obligation to meet us at the bargaining table. But Amazon is refusing to do so, as you mentioned they 're going to stall uh, they they filed in twenty five objections and uh, They got the NLRB to move the hearing to a whole nother location. To me, it just sounds like the corporations have the control and they control whatever they want. They break the law to get away with it. They know that already. That breaking the law during these election campaigns won't be resolved during the election campaigns. So they purposely continue to break the law. For example, We filed over 40 ULPs in 11 months. Most of them are, quite a few of them got merit um, for for the action. Uh, Some of them even got injunctions. For example, Gerald Bryson was fired two years ago. Finally, two years later, over two years later, there's a 10-J in motion for his reinstatement. Another prime example. Daquan Smith was fired by the company for organizing. He's still out of a job. He's living in a shelter right now. Uh, We raised money through GoFundMe. These are just a few examples, including myself, who's been out of a job for the last two years. Um, I want to just end off by saying this. We need to pass the PRO Act so that workers are protected and workers are encouraged to organize. Uh, and if that don't work, you know, I'm gonna let you know right now that on behalf of the Amazon labor union and the hundreds of thousands of workers across this country that we will continue to organize. And once again, I wanna remind you that this is not a left or right thing. This is the working class issue. And the workers at the bottom are the ones who make these corporations go. Thank you. That was
0: incredible. And I'm not embellishing when I say this, but Chris Smalls is one of the most important leaders in America, period, full stop. What he's doing is invaluable. It's incredible. And he went there not only to explain the very specific ways that Amazon is intimidating their own employees and breaking the law and punishing them for trying to organize, but he called them to action. He said, we need to pass the PRO Act. And even if we don't get that, We're still going to keep organizing, but you should pass it because this is what we're experiencing. And if you claim to care about workers, then you would support our cause. Now, there's a lot of people in Congress who like to LARP as working class allies. There's a lot of self-proclaimed populists like Josh Hawley. But if they don't support the PRO Act, they're absolutely telling on themselves. They're revealing that they don't care about workers and all of this populist rhetoric that they're trying to espouse is nothing more than a facade. Because if you care about workers, supporting the PRO Act is the one thing that you can do to help workers uh, in the most concrete way imaginable. So, what Chris Smalls is doing there is telling them, here's what you can do to help me if you truly agree with working class people. So, you can take it Or leave it but you're revealing to everyone that you're a fraud if you don't support the pro act now some specific things that he says here that are really important he says you forgot that the people are the ones who make these companies operate and that's exactly right we absolutely depend on these companies to survive that's how we make a living but the truth remains that without the workers these companies would be nothing without these billionaires exploiting the wages of their workers, they wouldn't be billionaires. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, they would not be the richest men in the world today had they treated their workers correctly. So the people who make these elites mega-rich, they get fucked over and treated like garbage, disregarded the second they stop being what is perceived to be loyal to the company when they start to organize, right? They're treated like robots, they're expected to work until they die, and... The fact remains that it's the people that powers these companies they are nothing without the people and it's really important that people internalize this fact that workers internalize this fact and the most important thing that chris mall said uh it is in your best interest speaking to lindsey graham and the whole committee uh to realize it's not a left or right thing it's a worker thing and we're the ones suffering in the corporations that you're talking about and that's just it it's a call to everyone in this country to understand that these elites, they have class solidarity. Why don't workers have class solidarity? And the answer is that because we're distracted by these politicians who want to do the bidding of these large multi-billion dollar companies. But that's changing. That is changing. Workers have to unite. You know, being a worker, that's not just the left or right thing, as Chris Smalls pointed out. There are Republicans who are workers. There are leftists who are workers. There are apolitical people who are workers. Working is a part of life because that's how we survive in this capitalist system. So it's really important, as Chris Smalls acknowledges, that you all acknowledge that you all have a common purpose in making sure that you are treated fairly, have fair wages. I mean, even though there are uh, people who I disagree with who are workers like Republicans, like, obviously, they should be treated fairly like this shouldn't be a political thing. It should just be an American thing. Right. And I say the same the same thing about health care. Right. When I talk about Medicare for all single payer health care system, when I say that health care should be free at the point of service, I'm not saying just for liberals and leftists. I'm saying it should be free for everyone, even horrible people who I disagree with, because these are things that should just be guaranteed to all human beings, just specifically because they're human beings right? And as human beings, we should see the humanity in others. Now, Chris Smalls also said the people are the ones that make these corporations go. It's not the other way around. Well fucking said. Love everything that he said there. Um, it was really important that he made the speech and I hope you watch it. This is me trying to signal boost it because what he said here, every second of it is absolutely amazing and I hope that you will show his speech to your relatives. I hope that you show it to people and understand that if they acknowledge the power that they have, if they understand that they alone can organize their entire workplace, this country could actually move in a different, more positive direction. So if you are a leftist or just a good person, you don't see a lot of political victories. So whenever they happen, I absolutely want to take the time to highlight them and celebrate them. And we absolutely got a monumental victory out of California with regard to net neutrality. And uh, it's because net neutrality activists have been absolutely relentless and they defeated telecom giants. And when I say giant, I I want to be clear, we're talking about behemoths, Comcast, AT&T, horizon. So their lawsuit in order to strike down California's gold standard net neutrality law, it's over. And it's over because they're withdrawing. They are conceding. They're giving up. They're surrendering. And everyone who fought for this, you did this. As Evan Greer writes, we just won a huge court victory for net neutrality. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld a previous decision against the telecom lobby's attempt to prevent the California net neutrality law, SB 822, from going into effect. And they further explain, ISPs just dropped their lawsuit against the California net neutrality law after they lost three times in federal court. Huge win for digital rights and the open web. Now this was unthinkable to me because these telecom giants, they have virtually unlimited funds. They could fight this forever. So at some point, if you just keep trying, you're bound to get a win. But they've given up. For them to uh, concede in this battle, that's no small thing. That's absolutely giant. California's law stands and there's nothing that they can do to change that. Now, net neutrality is still not the law of the land, but because these states like California and New York and Oregon and Washington have our own net neutrality laws, well, they can't do what they originally wanted to do when Ajit Pai was head of the FCC and he uh, repealed net neutrality. So what this is going to do is not necessarily make them retreat altogether, right? But I think that what they're going to do is refocus perhaps at the national level what they've been trying to do is block Gigi Sohn who is an FCC nominee and if she gets confirmed then the FCC is no longer deadlocked they can undo the uh, net neutrality repeal from 2017 that Ajit Pai then FCC commissioner had passed Um, and if that happens then that is their worst nightmare now for additional details on this andrea germanos of common dreams explains associations representing the telecommunications industry on wednesday dropped their legal fight to block california's gold standard net neutrality law following a string of losses in federal courts the stipulation of dismissal was filed in the u.s district court for the eastern district of california bringing to an end a years-long challenge from major companies including at&t verizon and comcast to senate bill 822 passed in 2018 despite massive spending by the telecommunications industry, the state-level bill restored the Obama-era net neutrality protections repealed by the Republican-controlled Federal Communications Commission in 2017. Evan Greer, director of Fight for the Future, called the development a huge win for digital rights and the open web. John Bergmayer, legal director at Public Knowledge, also welcomed the lawsuit's withdrawal as great news. However, he added, the effort to enact net neutrality rules nationwide must continue, which means the Senate must act to ensure we have a full Federal Communications Commission that can restore these important consumer protections actions for all Americans. Other open Internet defenders have recently urged the Senate confirmation of President Joe Biden's nominee to fill the empty and tie-breaking seat on the FCC, Gigi Sohn. Now take a moment and guess who is blocking the confirmation of Gigi Sohn? Just take a guess. It's Republicans. How often, lately especially, have we heard Republicans screech about big tech censoring everyone? Well, the FCC has already stated their intent to uh, undo what Ajit Pai did. Now, what Ajit Pai did is give these telecom companies like AT&T, Comcast, the authority to literally throttle anyone that they don't like. Anyone. So, you know how you have internet currently? You have internet access that is, in theory, equal, right? So, when you go to YouTube... Netflix, um, any website, the speed is the same, but what these uh, telecom companies did was they lobbied very hard to have the authority to basically slow down websites, throttle traffic to websites that either they don't like, who were their competitors perhaps, and that absolutely is not just anti-consumer, but it's anti-free speech. And all of these free speech warriors on the right who are talking about how wonderful it is that a billionaire purchased Twitter so he can restore free speech are at the same time blocking this FCC confirmation, which would absolutely give the federal government more authority to regulate these free speech violators, these big tech companies. But all of a sudden, they don't want to do that. Hmm. I wonder why. It's almost like they don't actually give a shit about freedom of speech and they're just shills for these companies. And what's interesting is that Ted Cruz, one of the loudest defenders of free speech, supposedly, back in 2017, before the FCC repealed net neutrality, he actually wrote an op-ed where he argued that not only should the FCC... Uh, repeal net neutrality, but they should stop states from enacting their own net neutrality laws and Ajit Pai, like the good little puppet that he is, he then put that provision into his repeal of, ne- of net neutrality and then passed it. So if you care about big tech and how much power they have, well, then you absolutely should be fighting for net neutrality because net neutrality is what evens the playing field. It doesn't allow these big tech companies like Comcast, Verizon, AT&T to censor their competitors or censor voices who they don't like. I mean, imagine this world where net neutrality was uh, repealed. There's a a ton of implications, anti-consumer, but also anti-free speech. Comcast could know that if I'm one of their customers and I'm saying bad things about them, that they're busting unions, for example, they could throttle my internet access and that would be perfectly legal. Does that not violate freedom of speech, according to these politicians? I mean, it doesn't violate the First Amendment because this is a private company, but they claim that private companies should uphold the principles of freedom of speech, and I absolutely agree. But if Comcast did this, as Ted Cruz says that they should be able to, does that not pose a greater threat to freedom of speech than Twitter blocking certain accounts arbitrarily? I mean, we're talking about the control of access to information on the internet here, and this is a monopoly you can't just cancel comcast if they throttle you and go to a different company most people only have access to one internet service provider in their area so you don't have a choice in this instance you have to have net neutrality if you want to protect freedom of speech also it's anti-consumer because if they wanted to what they can do is they can basically disaggregate the internet instead of just selling you all of the internet where you have access to all websites they can say well look If you want to buy the social media package which includes facebook and twitter and other social media websites like instagram that'll be 13.99 a month if you want to add on our video program that'll be 20.99 a month and you get youtube you get rumble you get all of these uh netflix so they can easily fuck over everyone because these internet service providers they hold all the cards if the internet is going to be viewed as you know the public square or a public utility as these free speech people like elon musk say then they should be the loudest people fighting for net neutrality but they're not They're silent, and that's because they're full of shit. If you care about freedom of speech, net neutrality is one of the most important issues of our time, and so this is a huge victory here, but we have to make sure that Gigi Sohn gets confirmed. Republicans are blocking her, but if they successfully block her, then the FCC can't do what they have stated they want to do, which is reinstate net neutrality, make sure that the playing field is even, and there's actually freedom on the internet. So, I don't want to gripe too much because this is a victory, but the fight It will go on and i just want to let you know this is good news but you've got to keep the momentum in this direction you've got to keep challenging them you've got to uh, keep advocating for net neutrality because it's not these idiotic right-wingers who are you know pro free speech as they argue against net neutrality it's uh it's us right back in 2017 i remember ben shapiro got massively disliked by his own audience because he advocated against net neutrality I mean, people see through this, right? People see right through it. So Democrats need to take up this issue and they've got to fight because not only is it a winning issue, but it's an important issue. And I'll leave that there. So much has happened this week, so I'm sure that, uh, like me, you might have missed this gem of a headline. Republican Ron Johnson says it may be true that COVID vaccines cause AIDS. Yeah. Yeah this is a sitting united states senator who's saying this now to give you some additional context here he was being interviewed by a fellow right-wing nut job who's going to bring up his uh belief that COVID vaccines cause aids and you know ron johnson has the opportunity to challenge him and he even says let me challenge you here for a bit but what you're going to see is he doesn't actually challenge him instead he does the opposite and he validates everything that this loon is saying take a look.
6: The way to approach this is from a criminal point of view, because that's what has happened. And until we start holding people accountable, Fauci, number one, um, you're going to see people still falling out, still getting sick. You've got more than 100 doctors here, all of whom will tell you that these shots caused uh, vaccine-induced AIDS. They They purposefully gave people AIDS. Right. They knew this. The FDA, two weeks prior to their emergency use authorization license, had an internal review, an internal audit function that had the infamous page 16. They knew all of this, and yet they licensed these shots anyway. And then you have the trickery with uh, interchangeable or not. And is it a a legally distinct thing or not? This is criminal intent. And until we address this as being that, we're stuck. We're we're not going to get over this. let, Let me challenge you there, please. That's that's way down the road. You gotta do one Perhaps. step at a time. I mean, you gotta do one step at a time. You, everything you say may be true, okay? But right now, the public views the vaccines as largely safe and effective, that vaccine injuries are rare and mild. That is the narrative. That's what the vast majority of the public accepts. So until we get until we get a larger percentage of the population with their eyes open to, whoa, these vaccine injuries are real. Why? You know, you do that step by step, you, you can't leap to, uh, you know, crimes against humanity. You can't leap to, you know, a, 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 another Nuremberg trial.
0: Why not? Are you a big pharma shill? Actually, he is unironically a big pharma shill. But that's not uh, that's not challenging him. You didn't challenge him. You just legitimized that point that he was making. Unbelievable. Um, so basically, it's not that it's not true That COVID vaccines cause AIDS. That's not how you challenged him. You basically said, well, you know, in order for us to do what you want to do and do military tribunals to execute the people, I'm assuming, who are giving people these vaccines filled with AIDS, first we have to convince the people. That's not challenging him, you fucking moron. Challenging him would be shutting it down entirely, saying, no, COVID vaccines do not, let me repeat, do not cause AIDS. For you to say that is preposterous. But he didn't do that. He put on his kid gloves and, knowing that this was going to be controversial, he tried to prime us to think that he was pushing back by saying, let me challenge you. But you didn't challenge him, Ron. You didn't. You just gave him a dub. A United States senator just said it may be true what that loon was saying that COVID vaccines cause AIDS. I mean, just when you think that the Republican Party couldn't get any more unhinged, we see things like this. Now, uh, because Ron Johnson didn't do his job, let me do it for him and say it unequivocally. No, COVID vaccines do not cause AIDS. I shouldn't have to debunk this conspiracy theory, but here we are. Reuters explains, On Facebook, Singapore-based users have shared a screenshot of a tweet that reads, It's AIDS. They're giving people AIDS. I'm on an international Zoom call with pathologists and doctors. We are in serious trouble. Immune systems are being obliterated. This appears to be a reference to the COVID-19 vaccine. Speaking to Reuters for a previous fact check on the topic, Donna Farber, chief of the Division of Surgical Sciences and professor of microbiology and immunology at Columbia University, explained that the vaccines don't deplete any immune cells, but instead, they stimulate immune cells to be activated, divide and produce molecules like antibodies and soluble factors to recognize a pathogen and rid the body of it. So there you have it. I feel like it shouldn't have to be said, but in a country where a sitting senator literally says it may be true that COVID vaccines cause AIDS, you have to do things like this. You have to go the extra step and actually debunk these things. You have to make it very clear that not only is this factually incorrect, but it's deeply stupid to think that this is happening. There is overwhelming evidence that the vaccines are safe and effective. In fact, they've saved hundreds of thousands of lives, and they are evidence that free healthcare is something that we need in the United States, because these vaccines showed how effective and life-changing they are. But instead, we have idiots claiming that they, um, I don't know, cause AIDS cause all kinds of issues because they're scared but they're stupid and them lying to people it's getting people heard so i mean when you have government officials who aren't even willing to debunk things that are on its face so stupid i mean this is why we're in bad shape as a country this explains it well the new trump jr video just dropped and i've got to say It's an absolute banger. Now, he's going to talk about the Supreme Court leaker, and he's not going to offer us any unique insight. He's just going to parrot what he's been hearing other right-wingers say about this particular subject. He's going to feign outrage. We know that he doesn't care about the Supreme Court leaker, But I honestly don't really care about what he's saying. In this unique circumstance, I care about how he says it, because it's very evident that my man here is going through an identity crisis. He's trying to emulate his dad's style. I mean, pay close attention to his uh, his face, his mannerisms, his cadence. He's very clearly trying to do a bad impersonation of Donald Trump, his father. And to make matters worse, it's very evident that he is uh, very hyped up on caffeine, if you know what I mean. Like, he's been having a lot of Coca-Cola and he's very hyper right now and he's trying to make a political point, but it's evident that, like, his heart is about to explode out of his chest so (laughs) take a look and then we'll break it down when uh it's over
6: guys you saw the leak from the supreme court an unprecedented thing this kind of stuff doesn't happen i don't know that i'm ever aware of a leak this is not like congress where everything leaks and trust me i've done enough testimony things are leaking during uh, closed door hearings i get it The Supreme Court doesn't have leaks, so if there's not a thorough criminal investigation into who leaked privileged documents about a draft decision from the United States Supreme Court, where a small, small, tiny handful of people have access to it, then we live in a clown show state. We live in a clown show state, folks, for perspective. The FBI... Sent, I believe it was 15 people to investigate a garage pole. Remember that the NASCAR Bubba Wallace thing? Thought it was a noose. Well, it's a garage pole. Like basically on every garage of every NASCAR track that anyone's ever been at. Didn't matter. 15 people. And if they don't send people to investigate this, then again, we live in a clown show state.
0: I mean, look, man, you've got to you've got to lay off the caffeine. You've been having a little bit too much caffeine. If you listen closely, you can hear his heartbeat through the uh microphone on his shitty camera i'm kidding but uh, i mean we see through you like you're you're very clearly hyped up on caffeine trump jr so we see through you right we know exactly (laughs) what's going on? And he thinks that we're stupid. Kyle Kulinski called him out before on Twitter at the uh, RNC convention, I think. Like, he was very hyped up on caffeine then as well. His eyes were watering and Kyle Kulinski called him out for it. And he responded to Kyle... Just playing dumb, oh, of course not. I would never do that. No, actually, you're you're very clearly addicted to Coca-Cola. You love Coca-Cola. You don't drink Pepsi. You don't drink Mountain Dew. It's Coca-Cola specifically because of the amount of caffeine that it has in it. To be clear, I don't know how much caffeine Coke has compared to other drinks, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? You're picking up what I'm putting down, right? He has a Coca-Cola problem and, and going on camera trying to be like a social media influencer or a YouTuber or I guess a rumbler since he's on rum uh, rumble. It's not going to work. You don't have charisma. And on top of that, it's evident that you're a very miserable human being. And it's it's embarrassing because you know that he has this inferiority complex. He's lived in his father's shadow throughout his whole life. And he's never been loved the way that his father has been loved. And his father has probably never loved him the way that Fathers normally love their sons. So what he's trying to do is follow behind his dad, get in his shadow and try to pick up some of that that residual adoration that MAGA chuds are, you know, lobbing at Trump. But it'll never compare to the love that Trump gets from the base. So, you know, he's trying to grapple with that and trying to chart his own path by being a rumbler or a social media influencer. But it's just, it's not going to work, Trump. Not going to work at all. Now, I want to play a video from five years ago. This is an interview with Trump Jr. And I'm choosing this clip specifically because it talks about leakers. He talks about leakers. Uh, Pay attention to how different he was then. I mean, it's still Trumpian to an extent, right? But uh, I mean, the difference is night and day. Let's watch.
6: Robbie Mook, the campaign manager for Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. I asked him about the DNC leak, and he suggested uh, that experts are saying that Russians were behind both the the leak, the, the, the hacking uh, of the DNC emails and their release. He seemed to be suggesting uh, that this is part of a plot to help Donald Trump and hurt Hillary Clinton. Your response. Well, it just goes to show you their exact moral compass. I mean, they'll say anything to be able to win this. I mean, this is time and time again, lie after lie. You notice he won't say, well, I say this. We hear experts, you know, his house cat at home once said that this is what's happening with the Russians. It's disgusting. It's so phony. I watched him bumble through the interview. I was able to hear it on audio a little bit. I mean, I can't think of bigger lies, but that exactly goes to show you what the DNC and what the Clinton camp will do. They will lie and do anything to win. You hear it with the DNC where they're leaking emails about Bernie Sanders and his Jewish heritage to be able to try to destroy him in the South. It's a rigged system. It's disgusting. And the people should be fed up because when I heard it, I certainly was.
0: Time is a motherfucker, isn't it, folks? Or should I say, time is a motherfucker, (laughs) bigly. I feel like I could do a better Trump impersonation than him. Um, Yeah, look at the change. It's incredibly different. I mean, sure, there are some elements of the old Trump Jr. there in the new Trump Jr., but it's evident. He's in horrible, horrible shape. And I've got to point out that uh, back then, he was pro leak, but now... He's anti-leak. And he's not alone. Like, he's not the only hypocrite. Tulsi Gabbard is on Fox News screeching about the Supreme Court leaker after being, to her credit, one of the few politicians to actually stand up for whistleblowers like Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. But, I mean, the talking points have been handed down, so they all have to say the same thing. They all have to regurgitate the same fucking talking points. And, um i guess that's how they get it to stick it must be right but either way trump jr i mean it's just i almost like i don't feel bad for him i don't want to say that because he's a piece of shit and he deserves to be miserable and pathetic right he knows that all of that money that he has is never going to account for how shitty and miserable he is as a person and he deserves this because of how bad of a person he is but still you kind of feel bad because something's not right there, right? A, a lot is not right there and and he's trying to be this insightful political commentator but there's nothing about him that differentiates him from the other right wing hacks. What about you is different because you came out of Donald Trump's nuts? That doesn't make you different if you're just saying the same exact things. Like, if he honestly were trying to use his experience being the son of a former president and kind of like say, look, I have this inside-inside. My dad would negotiate with Senators X and Y, and this is the way it kind of, you know, uh, went out. Uh, uh, Or not went out, but, like, went down, I guess you could say. Like, if he did something like that, it would make a lot more sense, and, and there would clearly be a need for that but there's not. He's just like watching Fox News and then repeating it to his audience on Rumble. So, you know, look, either way, there's no substance to be had here. I just honestly wanted to shit on someone because it makes me feel better. Uh we've had a pretty bad week. Republicans got this huge victory and they're molding. They're not even celebrating this victory that they had. So, you know what? If making uh other people or making fun of people like donald trump or shitty people makes you feel better in spite of all this horrible things that's been happening in spite of this terrible political climate then you know what fuck it we need to do it we owe that to ourselves as part of self-care because um these are ghouls who are ruining the country so at least we should be allowed to um laugh at them right more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our
1: full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.